Welcome to T Hangs for the Memories. I'm your host Darren, and today we're going to be discussing Larry Crown, uh, the second film directed by Tom Hanks. Uh, and unlike the last one, somehow this made money. Uh, it was released on the 1st of July 2011. Tom, of course, getting back in on that uh, July 4th box office weekend. Um, it barely made double its budget, so it just about made profit. And uh, Tom obviously is getting top billing, although he's sharing it once more. With Julie Roberts. Last time they did that was Charlie Wilson's War, where they also shared it with Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, who, quite frankly, uh, I would have loved to have been in this film, playing the role that Brian Cranston plays. Uh, joining me to talk about this film today, uh, they come from the land down under. I have Daniel Ifland. Good evening. And David King. Hello. Um, returning from uh, previous episodes, where I think Tom's name was like he was also playing one of the characters. I think, Daniel, you were on. Turner and Hooch, he was obviously playing Turner. I was on Turner, uh, yes. Yeah. And in Bonfire of the Vanities, he was obviously the bonfire. Um, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, weird because it's rare that either Julia Roberts or Tom Hanks plays like a character whose name is in the title of the film. And I don't know if this is a thing that they've like deliberately done in their careers, but obviously uh, also, Daniel was on Forrest Gump, which is, you know, another title character Very that much. Tom played. Um, you know, he's in Joe versus the Volcano, but that's not his whole name. So I don't know that that counts. Um, and like I said, Charlie Wilson's War. He plays Charlie Wilson. So, you know, like, very rare. Um, and in Julia Roberts' case, you know, she was... Uh, I'm trying to think of films where she was Aaron the Brockovich. Character. Obviously, Aaron Brockovich. Yes. Mary Riley. There we go. I think that's it. I don't think there's any other, t- other times... That she's played a, a character whose name is 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 fully in the title, um, you know. Apart from obviously August Osage County, where she played the entire of Osage County, that was a performance and a half. Um, <laughs> Stretch yeah. yourself. Hell of a performer. So, like four years after Charlie Wilson's War, they are rewriting here, um, and the poster uh, spoils everything because. Like why would you sh- why would you show them together on like a moped <laughs> when that doesn't happen until literally the credits roll? It's just a spoiler on the poster. Like let's at least have some tension about whether or not they get together. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it. But I don't know what was going on with those like CGI end credits. I have oh, no like it, it, it's, it's all I was. It's all I wanted to talk about once I saw them. I was like, holy, <laughs> what is happening here? <laughs> Uh, yeah, save it for the end because there's a lot of stuff in between mm. here and there. Um, so yeah, obviously this is reuniting uh, Hanks and Roberts, but also uh, from the Great Book Howard, we have returning George Takai. In that he played George Takai, um, the person which in in the film John Malkovich says he's Sulu from the Star Trek, um, which is probably my favourite line in the entire, to have John Malkovich say that a number of times where he says my friend George Takai, Sulu from the Star Trek. Um, yeah, in this film we get a weird meta thing because like somebody talks about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but it's like, does that mean they don't notice that the econ professor at this like tiny U.S. college looks exactly like Sulu? Has nobody noticed that? Like this guy's meant to be a fan of Star Trek. Has he said nothing about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is at the moment. This is the last time that uh, Tom has worked with his second wife. 
yeah, scandalous. Uh, like Ronald Reagan, you know, he he had a he had a first wife um, that nobody really mentioned. Oh, I thought you meant Tom um, Hanks was married to Jane Wyman there for a second. <laughs> <Turn> <laughs> no. <up> books. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this is the last time he's worked with Rita. Uh, you know, the first time obviously was volunteers, which is when they met and they both decided that the people they were currently with, they did no longer want to be with. And so uh, they got together. Um, and then obviously she had a brief cameo in Bonfire of the Vanities. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I think this might be it. This like the, the, this is the, the most recent time that they worked together. And after Bonfire of the Vanities, that was it. Oh, no. Of course, now she was also in that thing. To bow out on. Yeah, yeah, and of course she was in that thing you do, but uh, like only very briefly. Um, but yeah, in this she's playing Wilma Q. Gamelgard, which is actually a, like a reference to that thing you do. There's somebody in there who's called Gamelgard as well. Uh, but that's far too much name for somebody who's basically just an anonymous bank teller. Like, I mean, <laughs> if she wasn't married to the director, I don't think she would be having a name that long. Um, and I think it's obviously you know Tom directed this, but we really do have to kind of make note of the fact that it was co-written by Neovar Dollars, who, in all fairness, had made a ton of money for Tom and Rita because they produced uh, My Big Fat Creek Wedding. Um, and I should say as well, like, the Playtone logo on this thing is... I don't know what... Like, it, suddenly it's like the, 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 the Terminator from T2. Like... I, I was like, what's going yes. on, Tom? Like, like uh, with, each, with each subsequent film, the Playtone logo becomes fancier and fancier. Um... You know, so I don't know if somebody just got like a new plug-in on on Blender or something, and they were like, "Tom, take a look at this. I can I can make the Playtone logo look like the liquid metal thing." And he was like, "Yeah, that's it. Throw it on the front." Uh, this film was financed by French money, so I guess technically speaking, it's a foreign film uh, because you know the main studios was uh, Vendome, and um, over here it says uh, Studio Canal, uh, oh. but obviously it was distributed by uh, Summit and Universal, so. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was weird. It's like a French co-production. Like, I, I mean, I don't I know. I guess if... even in 2011, um, if you have a Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts movie, you're throwing money at it, surely. I, I mean, I, yeah, like, I mean, the budget was only 30 million. I'm guessing 10 million of that was on scooters because uh, there's a lot of scooters <laughs> in this thing. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we'll talk about the rest of the cast as we get there. Those are the people who basically have worked with Tom you know, previously we, you know, we also get, uh, you know, Grace Gummer and Rami Malek. Obviously, we'll talk about their characters when we get to them. But like, <laughs> this cast is insanely stacked, and I like, again, it feels like Tom just calling in favors. Um, you know, and the first time I saw this film, I was alone in the cinema, in that nobody else was in the screen with me. Uh, it was the fourteenth of July, two thousand eleven, and. Uh, just me i i got to see eff effectively a private screening of larry crane <laughs> so um yeah uh i, I it's, it's so weird because it's like i could i could even now i'm vividly remember because i remember you know i remember the layout of the screen i saw it in which has since been refurbed so no longer exists in that particular thing and i remember sitting like kind of uh as you walked into it there was kind of like two rows that were kind of like at the back that were you know next to where you walk in and i remember sitting there and just kind of thinking, oh, there's going to be more people coming eventually. Nope, film started, and it was just me by myself. Uh, always one of my favourite experiences at cinema, to just be there by myself. Because, you know, I don't have to tell people to shut up or, you know, to put their phones away or anything like that. I just get to watch the film and enjoy myself. 
Um, although whether or not I did that, we'll obviously have to get into. So I'm going to say, Daniel, do you remember the first time you saw Larry Crown? I do, but I'm the only member of my household that does because I definitely saw this movie um, in the cinemas, remembered very little of it, and genuinely, until they foreclosed on his house, thought this was from like 2003, 2004. It has a very early <laughs> 2000s vibe about it. And then, of course, as soon as he gets fired and you realize the that, that it's a post sort of 2008 crash but yes but my um, partner who watched it with me tonight swears up and down she has never seen this movie um and <laughs> i genuinely would not have gone and seen this movie on my own absolutely not at the time sorry darren but at the time i had a movie going partner and i still do now so no uh very unmemorable for her and sl- only slightly more memorable for me um but uh yeah it i it, it only being 10 or so years ago has blown my mind it just some for some reason feels a, a lot longer um than that they do say they do say facebook and twitter in here yeah th- th- and obviously they say they yeah. they say smartphones like it's a novelty even though he's got a flip phone not a smartphone <laughs> so, that's right <laughs> so like yeah so it's like smartphones were like just becoming big and that's why george takai kind of dismissively says smartphone mm. Um, you know, and yeah, the kind of passing mentions of Facebook and Twitter. I mean, I'm going to blame all that on Nina Vardalos. I mean, like, it feels like she's trying too hard to put like modern references into this film. Uh, I know oh, David. She's will, a razor whisk. I, I know David will remember his first viewing. Uh, Darren, I might have seen it, for the love <laughs> of God, I can't remember. <laughs> I, I look. I do recollect watching it again recently. Um, and I swear to God, 10 minutes afterwards, I needed reminding that I'd already watched it. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, we'll get into it. Um, I actually think no, I, I, I only watched it recently for, uh, for this podcast. It was one of those movies where I was interested. It looked like a likable enough Tom Hanks movie. I like Julia Roberts as well. Um, but, uh, the critical reaction to this movie just kind of put me off. So it was always on the back burner. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think thirty six percent is slightly unfair on Ron Tomatoes, and I say that as somebody who has recently watched Angels and Demons and The Da Vinci Code, and obviously, David, you saw, um, you know, Bonfire of the Vanities, and Bonfire of the Vanities has got like a sixteen on Rotten Tomatoes. This is this is be- this is more than twenty percent better than than Bonfire of the Vanities at the very least. Like it's, you know, uh, I and I think it's certainly be- like I I think. Um, Angels and Demons got like a 35 or something. This is more than 1% I, I better than Angels and Demons. I have a soft spot for Angels and Demons just because um, oh, just because I like trash. Um, I'll just say it. I like trash. So I have a soft spot for Angels and Demons and Bonfire of the Vanities. Look, for better or worse, I remember that movie. It's for worse. Um, it's for worse, David. One... It's for worse. <laughs> <laughs> This one, I need constant reminding that I've seen it. <laughs> so I've got a whole lot of notes in front of me about this movie because I felt if I just went in without them, I wouldn't be saying anything. <laughs> it'd just be, it'd be vanished, be gone, puff and smoke. I mean, there might be a reason for that, which is apparently seventy-one percent of the audience uh, went that like attended, um, making this the fourth highest film of uh, the box office on Independence Day were over 50 so this was very much uh which is appropriate because like tom hanks is over 50 in this thing so you know like it feels like he's he's attracting the crowd that were born the same year as him um, wow is that is that like is that a record like that's uh 
I don't. I mean, I'll say, I'll say this: when I saw the artist, which I think won the best picture for this year, um, at the cinema, it was me and like 150 people with white hair. Like that, that movie really attracted like the over over 70 crowd, I think. And I'll say this: for a film that was meant to be silent, which I think might be one of the you know the things that attracted them, you know, to remind them of the films of their youth. Um, I I had to tell a couple of people to shut the fuck up in that film because like old people in a film, oh my god, seriously, yeah, the worst. like just they're the worst. I mean, I know I know that you've probably forgotten the scene that's just happened, but don't ask the person sitting next to you for a reminder of it after it's just finished. Wait until after the film. Seriously, don't go to this is like. People complain about like going to kids' movies with like lots of kids, you know, yell- yelling and screaming and running around and whatever. But you know, in Sing Two, at least the kids paid attention to what's happening. In the artist, I was like having to shush people. Like it was very, very annoying. Old people. I mean, you know, maybe I'm fortunate. I saw this by myself because if it had attracted the over fifties crowd over here, I'd have been had to tell them <laughs> to stop talking because they they just keep this, doing that. This is a, a mild digression, but I remember going to see Michael Haneke's the. Um... The white oh, ribbon, gosh. and uh, there was an elderly gentleman in the theatre who was not just snoring, but that kind of like snore where they should be seeing, they should be going to a sleep apnea clinic for it. <laughs> and um, and anyway, I mean, by God, like he was he was actually shaking the theatre more than the sound from the film. It was incredible. <laughs> um, to Jeff, I know <laughs> that's my old person in the theatre story. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah. So obviously, that's the crowd they were going for. Um, you know, again, like the age difference of Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks in um, uh, Charlie Wilson's War wasn't that notable, apart from the fact that they were both playing. Like she was playing a character who was like meant to be ten years older than she was yeah. at the time. So, you know, it was a little bit odd that way. Um, but yeah, but the, the thing is, the the like the age appropriateness of racial relationships becomes a central theme of this of this film somehow uh with people judging other people for just you know eating a donut out of someone's hand um but yeah so we start the film uh as if you're meant to know who larry crown is i always find this weird as well with films where like they're named after a title character it's like when they did like that jason bourne film and they called it jason bourne i was like i know who jason bourne is am i meant to know who larry crown is um yeah he's just some guy who works at what looks like a walmart uh it is a u-mart um and he's got his little uh uniform on he's got his back brace um and you know he's just uh loving life you know picking up trash They're having a lot of fun a yeah. lot of fun on company time as well tom hanks his directorial style is we'll have a bit of plot and then let's montage it up and then in this case, he starts off with a montage <laughs> over the opening over the opening title, so I can forgive it. Um, but there's a little bit where he straightens up a, a glass jug that's on a shelf, like anyone would care. Uh, he picks up some trash on the on the way in. He finishes the sequence by putting away some trolleys. Uh, but there's two notable things in this little sequence where he does like the fish throwing, uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen like the thing in like Seattle where they got the fish market yeah. and they like throw fish all oh, over yeah, the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this feels like yeah. this is meant to be like a little kind of joke about that like they're throwing these kind of plush fishes like they're huge fishes but they're like throwing them down the line to put them into the basket as though they're real fish and it's like okay i mean it's a nice little visual gag as they're doing it but um and then and then there's like this this bit where like um some guy's buying a camcorder and they go to the camcorder feed and they're asking the price of it and they say it's 279 dollars 69 cents for a camcorder 
in the year 2011, who is paying nearly $300 for a camcorder? You've got a phone that's got a camera on it. I mean, like, I was like, this this story's clearly overcharging, like, in its electronics department, uh, which is kind of common in big box stores. Can I just ask to your thoughts? Um, the, the song that's playing over the opening credits is ELO's Hold On Tight. Um, did you find that, was there some kind of irony that they're playing Hold On Tight over working at the capitalist nightmare that is Walmart? Because um, <laughs> I was watching it, I'm just thinking, oh, come on, that's not real. Like, you, where are the miserable people? Everyone's far too happy to be yeah. working at this place. It's very, it's yeah. it's a very happy two minutes. It's also smack bang in the middle of the Mister Blue Sky, like in every trailer time period around two thousand seven to two thousand and twelve, thirteen. I think it was used in five separate trailers. I remember, I remember reading this years ago <laughs> that Mister Blue Sky came back and ELO was just everywhere for about half a decade again for some reason. But yeah, it's 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 very ironic. It's also it's a lot of Hank's business. Like he's a business. Like he does a lot of business. Like this actually reminded me a lot of the opening of uh, Turner and Hooch where it's just a montage of him doing business but he's just in that he's just in his undies yeah. doing it to himself but it's the same thing yeah. right it's just him here here's his, <laughs> here's his character this is what he does just give him two minutes to do a bit of business and he, he obviously took a lot of that on board before he started directing in Turner and Hooch as well it's stuff that never comes back it's like him cleaning his fridge yeah. and do, like it's meant to be that he's like meticulous yeah. OCD and then for the rest of the film, as, apart from the dog making a bit of slobber, yeah. it doesn't really come back. And the same here, like, this is a guy who's, like, dedicated to this job. And then once we get after the credits, and obviously the real story starts, there's no indication of this again. Like, at home, yeah. he's like, lives in a mess a little bit. And everyone yeah. has to, like, tidy up for him. And I'm like, well, wh- where was the guy who was, like, going around meticulously tidying the store? Yeah. Like, it doesn't, like, spotting, like, a tiny, a jug handle that's in the wrong direction. The first impression of the character of him... Um you know, like being so happy and just being so into the job, it made me wonder, and how to phrase this, but if, if he was all there. He, he, it's it's the first, bit he's a bit, yeah, simple. not, well, there's a, there's just that little bit right after that too. I can't remember what it is. I, I went to write down to know where you do, you have that quick think in your head. You're like, hang on a minute. Do you, is this going to be like that? Like what's the, yeah. It, it, I, and I found that it, it must be a, I'm, I would never blame a screenwriter for this because who knows? It could not be in the script. It might not be in the script. Maybe maybe in the performance. But every Hank's performance that I've seen otherwise has been calibrated to the character. Larry Crown is a little all over the place because he's a little bit Mister Phillips. He's a lot of Sully. He's got a little bit, a tiny bit of Gump in him. He's got a lot of Scott from Turner and Hooch. He's he's an amalgam of these, but the tone just sort of wobbles, for, especially in the first half. It's a really wobbly character. He's Spot not on, quite. Yes. He's yeah. not quite what he's going to be. The last half is very different. I know it's about growth, but you don't know what he's growing from, really. It's a yeah, it's a very strange opening half of the movie. I mean, I don't know if it's just because they shot this in a Kmart, and obviously they rebranded it Umart. Um, I don't know if like he just like one of the conditions was when he's working there like obviously his character in a moment will find out what's going to happen to him mm. but like he has to be happy like you can't you can't show it in a bad light like this can't be you know like obviously uh, I don't know if either of you have seen the sitcom Superstore that was on NBC for a few years and was basically set in a, yeah. like, a big box store 
the characters in that were like constantly depressed and yeah. mad and angry and hated their yeah. jobs and you know they had the little interstitials where like you would just see um, like um, shoppers just wandering around like do like they were constantly unsupervised and they would just like, like be picking stuff up and licking it and putting it back or <laughs> like stealing stuff or breaking stuff like the shoppers were just in the store and nobody was attending to them and yet you had this gigantic staff of like 30 people who were meant to be doing that and obviously that's you know that's, it's meant to be a comedy it's meant to be like a little bit ironic um but here it's just like he's super happy to be working in the box store doing like and, and like you know we meet randall park uh before you know he became a huge star uh, a sitcom star oddly enough there's a lot of people in this who had like sitcoms um and well, it's good practice for a sitcom yeah, yeah um very much. but yes yeah, so, like we see we see randall park and he's like a trainee and he's like they there's an announcement and it's muffled and you can't tell where it says and you know Tom Hanks is like, well, you have to hear it a second time, and then they hear it a second time, and then they, even though you can't, you can't, you literally cannot understand what they're saying. Like that's <laughs> deliberate. And the second time they're like, he has to go to like the, you know, the break area. And there is a funny bit where like they get there and there's a guy who's like using the break area, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just using the break area for my break. Yeah. <laughs> which, Crank, which I just good. thought was like, yeah, it's, it's just like one quick little tiny joke, and I'm like, okay. Um, I should say about ELO, of course, uh, Jeff Lynn knows how to make money. That's why. Oh. Um, you know, Mr. Blue Sky was featured in so many trailers. He's not a fool, you know. He's going to license it for literally everybody. Um, you know, of course, I should say England's own Jeff Lynn. You know, just from down the road from me, like twelve miles from here. Oh, so. really? And they did um, well. He went. They went. At least they went down to hold on. Like you know what I mean? Hold on tight. And uh, at the end, the end credits. Like they're not quite the absolute top tier hit singles. They're big, but they're not. Everyone. Oh no! So, yeah. La- La- yeah, Larry Crown didn't go for the you know living thing or, or Mr. <laughs> Blue Sky. Well, t- t- Hanks had hold on tight money. Well, he- he's like my budget's thir- thirty million, not thirty five yeah, yeah, yeah. million. I can't be affording top tier <laughs> ELO for this film. Uh, Paul-, Paul Thomas Anderson gets living yeah. thing. Larry gets Crown hold gets on tight, hold on yeah. tight. I think that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we find out what's going to happen to Larry. Of course, this film is set post two thousand eight. I'm guessing that Nia Vardalos probably started writing it around like right yeah. after that time you know because this it, a few years later this doesn't feel completely true i know that like obviously uh, the crash was pretty serious and you know it did affect people for a few years after but by 2011 there was a kind of a recovery going on so yeah. you know yeah. this feels like a, a few years out of, of date which is probably daniel why you didn't realize that it was set when it was because it doesn't like it doesn't really nail itself yeah. down until there's a couple of references like this. I did know though it was post 2008 because um, I saw Rob Riggle, so I'm like, oh, okay, now I know where I am. <laughs> yeah, and well, yeah, we we get in, we get like a meeting of like the various like managers in the area or whatever, um, who obviously they aren't wearing the uniform; they're wearing you know suits and ties, whatever. Uh, and you have Rob Riggle, you have Dale Dye, uh, Barry Sobel, and Claudia Steindlin. Um and this is the only time we'll see three of the four of those people. Um, yeah. and I will say this up front I don't like Rob Riggle I've never liked Rob Riggle in anything he's ever been in and when he's meant to be playing like an asshole which he's doing here like he, that's what he's doing I genuinely don't like him anyway and then <laughs> and then I don't like his character as well so you know it's two for has one has he I, ever played anyone who's not an asshole I don't know but like I, I'm, I'm, I mean maybe he's just typecast there is a there is a level of irony that obviously he, he really was in the Navy so when Tom Hanks, you know, obviously the reason they've called him here is because Tom Hanks never like went to college, 
And he says, oh, you know, I went into the Navy straight from high school. That is what Rob Riggle did. <laughs> he was in the Navy and he has he's got a ton of awards and decorations. Like mm. The guy really served like a lot. So, you know, thank you for his service participating in the killing machine that is American imperialism. Um, yeah, but also 2000, though, this does line up. Uh, Hanks was a cook yeah. in the Navy. So him and Casey Ryback may have joined in the exact same time to become cooks <laughs> in the U.S. Navy. Oh, lines it almost lines up it, perfectly. Yeah, his Dale guy. He is in. Uh, he's in a Seagal movie. I don't know if it is Under Siege, but I'm pretty certain Dale guy. So we're just like, oh, connecting it's, it's the loop there. It's very close. It just reminds me when I first thought I'm like 20 years. Oh my god, he might have. Re- Maybe he replaced Ryback on that sub. Like that was the next, after he moved on to trains. <laughs> Larry Crown moved in. <laughs> I mean, I think the only thing I've ever liked Rob Riggle in was the other guys. And even then, I didn't really like him that much in that film. <laughs> I, I, no. I liked everybody else. Not my favourite. Not um, my favourite. No. I mean, I'm sure that's what he's doing, you know. And he's a former Navy SEAL or whatever. But, I mean, you know, he's just very irritating. And obviously, that's why they hired him yeah. to be this extremely irritating guy here who keeps, like... Like, they're basically saying to Larry Crown... Um, you know, you can't get promoted. And I think it's funny because, like, Barry Sobel's character is, like, the last, like, round of promotions was between me and you and, and they promoted me for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of admitting that, like, he was the lesser, uh, you know, the lesser person. Uh, but, yeah, they're basically firing him because they can't promote him or something like that. Um, which, to me, doesn't really make a huge amount of sense because I'm like... I don't understand that yeah. at all. And the, the HR woman gives... They keep cutting to her, and I don't know if there was a longer scene, but she keeps giving like weird looks at across at the other at Dale Die, I think, and I, I'm sure there must have been a slightly longer sequence because it's very strange the way she looks at him a few times, as if there's something that we're not privy to that she is. I'm not sure if it's it might just be a character choice, but it, it struck me as quite strange, and when you're watching it that closely. Yeah, it's funny because the only the only picture of Dale Dye that's on Wikipedia has got all his medals and he's in is in his navy blues. So it's like, yeah, uh, he was a marine. Uh, sorry, so not navy, but you know, he's in his uniform. Um, Did yeah, he I, um, consult on Saving Private Ryan? Is that the Hanks connection with this movie? I think that is. Yeah, I think that's yeah. That's where yeah. he like he'd been obviously an advisor on a few like war films, and I, I think that's probably why Hanks kind of threw him a bone and put him in the scene. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, for three of these people, we won't see him again. Um, and then we sadly see Larry go home and he hangs up his uniform. And I'm like, hold on a second. I don't think that you're allowed to like, just when you leave the company, I don't think you're allowed to take your uniform. Like if you leave Walmart, you know, you hand in your uniform. Like you probably you have to, wash it. You have to strip in store and uh, yeah. just walk out in your pants. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, I think you meant to like wash it and send it back to them or something. So it's weird that he like hangs it up in his his wardrobe as if like it'll remind like as if he's got like a bunch of these different uniforms from his previous jobs or whatever. It's just I was like, that's weird. It's a little bit broke back um, mountain actually. <laughs> like, uh, was it very was it very strange? I don't know if you guys like Darren. You, I'm not too sure if you knew where the story was going, but I actually thought the hook of the movie was him, like, going through, getting, trying to get his job back. Like, I thought that's where the story was trying to set itself up. It seems, it seems, um, it seems like the like the the premise seems to be that he's going to go back to co- like I mean we take a, we take a, a long walk to get there, but the premise does seem to be like he's going to go to college, 
earn whatever that is and then reapply and then obviously he can get promoted or what like that seems to be the that's that's yeah. where that's where you think oh that's what it's going to be is that's why he's going to go to college because obviously you know from the trailers and stuff you're aware that he's going to go to college so you're like okay yeah. i guess you know at the end we'll be we'll be back here but Nope, that's not where it's going to go. Um, or or uh, working on the uh, wrongful lawsuit, wrongful dismissal lawsuit. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, because I mean, he's, I would say he's got a case, but I, we don't know. We don't know how strong UMART are in terms of their lawyers. Um, but once he's hung up his uniform, you know, he's not going to give in. We get ourselves a nice little montage because that's what Tom likes to do, uh, where he starts handing his resume to various people. Uh, we'll find out later on that he knows a guy who literally runs a business that he could work in. But for some reason, he spends he spends three minutes here handing his resume out to a bunch of people that he doesn't know. And they don't show um, them. They just sort of... It's a weird montage because it's just him parking. Like, they don't show him going in yeah, anywhere it, or handing it over. I'm like, just... What is going on here? It's just him driving around. And think, <laughs> Why is his car so he big? He doesn't have any children. He, Why is his car so massive? Indi- I, it was... Oh, I don't know. I think that's just America. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they just got cars that are very, very big for no reason over there. Um... Yeah, but what I think is funny is obviously he's got that thing where he keeps like beeping his car like to to lock yeah. it, and and he's wearing different shirts. And yeah, they don't really show him like handing the resume to anybody. He's just at his car over and over again. Mm. Um, and yeah, like it's 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 kind of weird because then you know we end up at the bank. We meet Rita Wilson, who is a blonde, uh, in this particular film, uh, as we said, playing Wilma Q. Gamelgard. And, um, you know, she's like, like, he's saying, can I refinance the house? And they're like, no, you can't. <laughs> and they're saying like three years ago, you know, just for your signature, we'd have given you like $300. But now you get nothing, unfortunately. Uh, which, again, do, like, doesn't make that a huge amount of sense. Like, I like, I mean, if they could let him refinance, give him the money. And then if he can't pay, they'll just take his house. So, like, I don't see what I don't see what the risk is. There's no real risk. They've got collateral. Oh. But I guess, you know, it's 2011 and they don't do that kind of thing anymore. Um, I can't imagine he was making that much money at UMart anyway. Like, how was he supporting the mortgage? But I, mean, I guess I'm overthinking Larry Brown, sorry. I think I think that at UMart, he would, like they say, he was the highest he could be promoted without being front office. So I think he'd been there long enough that he was basically on the top wage. And right, okay. there was no way for them you know, to promote him anymore because he hadn't got a college degree. Although the funny thing is apparently, you know, around this time there was a lot of people who'd been with like Walmart and Kmart and various other things and uh, and they were being let go like a couple of years before retirement so that, that the pensions didn't have to be paid. So there might be some of that in there as well. Like, well, they, yeah. they also, so lot of, the pension, he was 20 years in the Navy, so he'd have, a, I mean, we're talking too much about Larry Crown here. I think I'll just move on. <laughs> yeah no yeah he pro- yeah he probably will have his like his war pension yeah. you know from what from whatever he's but but yeah so he, he i mean he's probably got reasonable you know financial means that's why he's got the house um but yeah rita wilson's like you can't have any more money and then we we, we start to take the long walk towards what the actual premise of the film will be as we meet cedric the entertainer living up to his name and not being that entertaining um who oh. is his neighbor lamar who is like who every single day has like a yard sale or something yeah. and he gets mad he gets mad that somebody who is about to lose their home and has lost their job is trying to sell stuff in the street so he can make money so he doesn't starve uh i'm like i'm i'm sorry lamar like i i just don't like you now like you're you're mad at larry because apparently you know you've got some kind of reservation on who can hold a yard sale or whatever but i'm like the guy just needs money to eat like 
Like, what are you doing? He goes one step further. He, he tries to rip him off. Well, yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, an asshole. We find out he's got a boat that's in his yard because he won it on the big spin, which is obviously uh, whatever that show is in America where they've got the big thing and they. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, Wheel of Fortune. Um, yeah. So obviously he won like half a million on Wheel of Fortune. We see a brief flashback and then we see, we see like the check in the garage where like it says half a million and he's like, you know, Uncle Sam took his half. It's like, yeah, so. You got two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and that's why you spend every single day running a yard sale and smoking a pipe in a boat that's in your yard. I'm such a weird character. Like, I personally think we could lose Lamar entirely. We could keep Taraji P Henson as his, you know, as Bella because she knows about the eBay. So why isn't she just running the yard sale? Right. Why do we need this character? The incredibly well dressed in a garage, Taraji P Henson. Like that character <laughs> spends in like these gorgeous dresses and high heels, wandering around her garage all day. But I mean, a n- nice choice. But it was yeah that again. That's a th- that must be a screenwriting thing because there's just the characters. Those two characters are just not there and then there, and they the motivations are very very poorly thought out. Yeah, I mean, also, uh, you know, Cedric the Entertainer, I mean, he's a good enough looking guy, but no way he gets a Taraji P. Henson. There's just no way. I mean, well, we, I mean, she's maybe she has a she has a thing for game show contestants, obviously. <laughs> I mean, it's not I don't think yeah. I don't think that particular, um, you know, Kevin James phenomenon is is alone in this movie with Cedric and Taraji P. Henson, the other two main the love triangle, for want of a better word, is a little pushing uh, credibility a little bit too. Uh, a few years before this, obviously, she was in uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, uh, which, you know, I enjoy. Um, and then, you know, obviously she she got big when she was on uh, Empire playing uh, Cookie, hmm. uh, which was one of the world's most ridiculous characters ever written. Um <laughs> But and I mean I, I remember her being on Person of Interest, which I really enjoyed. Um, you know, along with Jim Caviezel and the fella off Lost. Um, but uh, they killed her character off after a couple of seasons. Spoiler alert for uh, an eight-year-old episode of Person of Interest. <laughs> um, you know, for anyone. But uh, yeah, but yeah, she spent five years on on Empire basically. Um, hmm. So I think that's where most people would know her from. But yeah, her character is kind of barely in this. And for some reason, her character is called Bella, but she's got a, an apostrophe yeah. after the B, as if she is um, a Klingon. Uh, so like, I've, I, don't know, I don't know. I mean, a weird choice, but okay. Uh, and so whilst haggling over various things, um, Cedric the Entertainer shows him like a catalog for the local college. And tries to sell it to him. And he's like, they give these away for free. Um, and, you know, they do some haggling, which is always hilarious in this film. <laughs> with Cedric the Entertainers, like, keeps... Instead of just just let him have it for free. Instead, he has to haggle over it for, like, a dollar. Um, you know, and obviously, once 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 he realizes he can get it for free, Larry Crown is out of there, basically. He doesn't need the catalogue anymore. It's one, one of those jokes that people over the age of 50 have a nice little chuckle at. A nice hearty <laughs> chuckle. Yeah, they they do. A, I mean, it's it's funny because like you know, uh, this is this then is the motivation. Like instead of him he, instead of him being at UMart and then saying you need a college education to be promoted, and him thinking okay, I'll look at the local colleges and I'll like he didn't even need to be fired 
to, I think his character could have still kept working at UMAR, yeah. but also been at college so that you could get a promotion. Yeah. But instead, he's you know his entire world has to fall apart before he decides he's going to go to college. Um, and the learning and to be treated me- better and doing something else would have been a much better character growth than whatever the hell the Cedric Entertainer. Like if he, like you say, <laughs> oh, I've got to do this for my work, but then no, I don't want to go back to that work because they treated me poorly, and I'm going to go and do this instead. Yeah. That's a that's a growth, right? That's something. It's yeah. Did you did you say character I don't growth? Know what's going on in this movie? <laughs> I genuinely the, the more I think about it, the more baffling this movie really is. Did we see the same movie? <laughs> I mean, it's funny because, like, we didn't need Cedric the Entertainer to tell him go to college. Like, he could, he should have figured that out on his own. It shouldn't have took, it shouldn't have took a resume montage and then a haggling with Cedric the Entertainer to get to that moment. Mm. Um, but, you know, he does. He goes to the local college. He meets Holmes Osborne, who, of course, we saw in That Thing You Do. Um, and, you know, Holmes Osborne says you should take this particular class, which is Speech 217. I will say this. The numbering of these classes makes absolutely no sense. I know in America they have like the first class is called, you know, whatever, something 101. And then they have, you know, various of the, you know, as, as you go up those. But when we get to the econ class, it's just called econ one, not econ 101. I always, I always thought it was the number of the room like, or the <laughs> lecture theater or something. No, 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 no. It's, it, <laughs> That's good. They they num they the the Americans number their courses from the like the start course which is one oh one and then you do to then you take one oh two and then you take one oh three and then when you get to the second year you take two oh one and two oh two and two and that's how it's, it's meant to it's, go. It's you know what, in my mind it works, so I'll just yeah. you know <laughs> but, but in this case it makes no sense because she Julia Roberts will be teaching two speech two one seven. Which I, I don't understand like that should be a second year course. Why is she doing it? But then Econ is Econ 1. And then later on we'll see her in a class and it's called English 40. Which makes no sense. None of this numbering makes any sense. Uh, I guess we can assume Nina, Nina Vardalis did not go to college. Um, should, I mean, can we just go back to Holmes Osborne as well? We just can. that scene, Darren. Yeah. Um, did it, any of you guys find it just that little bit creepy the way he was sort of just alluding to Tom Hanks that, oh yeah, you're really like the teacher. <laughs> like, come on, man, be professional. Come on. It's also, th- th- that is creepy. The other creepy thing is that he just keeps turning up. I'm like, don't you have better things to do? Why are you in this class? Why are you taking a special interest in this particular class? Because you met him once. That it genuinely feels towards the end of the movie that you, I forgot as a viewer that he knows Tom Hanks or he... He, he knows Larry <laughs> yeah. Crown previously or something because after that interaction he shows up at the class like maybe they show him in the class like probably up to three or four times and it's I think he's because he's meant to be dean of students I think he is meant to audit different classes so I'm assuming uh, he's sitting in on a bunch of other classes but but um, after the comment he made about Julia Roberts it just comes across yeah. as creepy especially the grin on his face every cutaway shot of him sitting <laughs> in her class no way yeah they make sure to show him every time uh, as well, yeah yeah, and uh, well, I mean, if you got Holmes Osborne, stick him on screen. Uh, yeah, so he gets rid of his Larry Crown gets rid of his big car and decides to replace it with what we in the UK call a moped, but what Americans call a scooter. Uh, a scooter over here means something slightly different. So, um, but yeah, you know, obviously Tom Hanks is making a choice between being a mod or a rocker, 
and he's decided to be a mod and he's going to get himself a scooter and later on there will be actually people who do look like they are meant to be mods because they got like little union jacks on their scooters so i i, I don't know that's i mean they should have made more of that but they didn't um bella informs tom hanks that you know his gigantic record collection which i'm not kidding you it goes up like it's it's floor to ceiling in his in his is, home yeah. when we see it later on it, that thing has got to be worth... I mean, she's like, you can sell the albums on the eBay, which is always my favourite thing when people put the, the word the in front of any website. And so, you know, she informs him that he could sell his records on the eBay and make some money. It looks like that guy's got like quarter of a million worth of records. Like he could make a He could pay for his house outright if he just sold his record collection yeah. by the looks of it. I think Nia Vardolis um, and Tom Hanks had seen 40-year-old Virgin as well because the, the, the uniform... The uniforms <laughs> like in the forget what the place is that they work but it's essentially the same yeah. sort of uniform they have it uh i think theirs is meant to be more like smart a best tech. Buy smart tech that's it yeah yeah, yeah. but smart like the, the idea yeah. of that sort of big box store then someone selling something on ebay as a, a slightly older man to pay for stuff it's a very like it's they'd seen that movie for definitely I think in Forty Year Old Virgin, though, that was actually part of Steve Carell's character. Yeah, it was like good. in Larry Crown. He doesn't even talk you about music. Don't even music. mention it. Yeah, there's apart no, from that no. one. Henson. There's like that one tiny thing about what came, and that's it. You never hear it from it again. And also, um, we never like she never at any point goes, "Hey, look at all the money you got from selling your records." So if she does sell the records on eBay, we never see any evidence <laughs> of it. They just mention it in passing. Um, hello, Quentin Tarantino. It's 16 minutes into the film, and here are Julia Roberts' feet for you, just to keep you interested. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure why they decided to introduce her in this manner, like of her putting like her shoes outside her car, and then obviously she can't she can't drive in high heels. I'm not saying that all women can't drive in high heels, but some women uh, no. can drive in, you know. But it's obviously difficult and could be dangerous if the heel gets caught. So obviously she's not driving in high heels. Um, she's putting them outside a car to slip her feet into. Uh, we should say at this point, uh, Judy Roberts uh, does not care. Her character don't care. And we'll see this when she meets with Pam Greer, who for some reason is in this film. Um, and, <laughs> and and playing somebody who's just called Francis. And we, we, we never quite figure out exactly what her class is. Although I think later on, um, you know, it seems to be hinted that she's doing something to do with feminism or something. Mm. Yes. Um, and but yeah, so they're both there super early. Why are they there at ten to eight in the morning? They say, um, and, which you know is a normal time for most people to arrive at work. But I guess they're teachers, and so for some reason they don't want to begin up early. And you know, this this class has been scheduled early, and Julia Roberts doesn't want to teach it. Um, and there's a funny thing that obviously she will do that kind of pays off at the end where um you know there has to be like a quorum of 10 for her to teach any class and if there isn't then she can immediately cancel the class and move on with her life and she will do that in a little bit but you know we get a we get a tiny bit of this where um you know once once we actually get into her class but before that happens uh we get to meet uh the love interest for larry crown in this film which is talia as played by google Mbath of raw um or is she a love interest um she is she um is she cinema's is she cinema's first platonic manic pixie dream girl that that possibly character is i feel so sorry for that for for the actress like having to portray whatever this character is must have taken every ounce that she had in her because 
it is a Nia Vardolis character. Like it is, it's not her. She's just right. Like having seen a couple of Nia Vardolis's um, uh, movies, like it's a very Nia Vardolis character, and she just it must be very difficult to portray such a. It is a manic pixie dream girl. Like I know that's a cliche, but it might be like almost like it, it's the definition of it. While being like you say, the platonic sort of exception to the rule. It's amazing. Um, and she she was she's she's English, obviously. Um, and she trained at RADA. Um, but rather than have her character just be English and living in America, uh, she puts on an accent, um, you know, as all English actors have to do. Um, you know, uh, even for some reason in Clifford the Big Red Dog, um, uh, Jack Whitehall had to try to put on an American accent. Wait, Jack even Whitehall puts an American accent on. In that, yeah, he, he does. his only thing is that he has an English accent. Like that's his entire being <laughs> is that Jack Whitehall has that accent. Yeah. That's it. Oh yeah. my god! And so, but it, he's and the weirdest thing is he's he's American, but his his sister is British. <laughs> so, Are you kidding? So he could have just he could have just kept his own accent. Yeah. So that's what they do to English actors. As soon as you're in America, you have to start pretending to be American, even if it makes literally no sense. I in think the there's world. some sort of this rule is... so that they can complain about it. I, th- I genuinely think that's it. Because every <laughs> like e- e- there's a Twitter thread once every like four months. Every Facebook group has a post every like two and a half months where it's like, oh, this accent was terrible. Oh, they're not from Savannah, Georgia. They're from from Tallahassee, North Florida. There's always something like that. And the rest of the world is like, you don't sound any, no one ever sounds anything like us. That's cool. Like no one comes, I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, every time, and it's like, just let them have their accents for God's sakes. Yeah. Nicole Kidman hasn't, hasn't done an Australian accent in 30 years um, on film. Oh, wait, what about, was she, I've, I've not seen Lion. Sure, did she not do an ac- Australian accent in Lion? It's a, She's American. It's an American accent, or is it a British accent? Yeah. Because even in, Austra- in, even the in film Australia, Aust- she does a British in accent. A, yeah, in Australia, she plays, she plays, she has a British she's accent. A British accent, yeah. And she's, everyone else is Australian, and she isn't. Um, yeah, so uh, this is, this is uh, Google and Raw's, like, you know, big film debut. She did a film a couple of years before this, but, you know, this is, like, the big, this is the big debut um you know this uh, after this obviously you know she goes on to i mean she was in bell and jupiter Ascending and miss sloan these are all films that i saw at the cinema and mother's brooklyn so she you know she's done some big films uh after this she, I, she and she sells this i mean what she has which mm-hmm. is nothing bless her she pumps so much charm into this role like she she's she's doing everything she can and also in a film with taraji p henson and julia roberts uh, and and Pam Greer, uh, she is also unreasonably good looking. Um, like this entire, I I don't know what's going on, but like you know, like like uh, for some reason Tom Hanks was like, let's cast a bunch of really really good looking women in this film, and then on the men's side, um, I, I I mean, Rami Malek and Brian Cranston, and not you know ugly people, but. You know, Brian Cranston said like he did like a lot of training and bleached his teeth and lost a bit of weight for this role so that he could, so that he could look like he would get he'd be someone who could attract um, Julie Roberts. But obviously, Brian Cranston's a good-looking guy. But it's just really weird because obviously the, the age difference is a little bit noticeable in this. Um, you know, between the two of them. Although we haven't got to him yet, we've just we're literally just we're about to get to the first class where Julie Roberts. She's only got nine students, and so she's like, "That's it. There's only nine here. I'm calling this off." And then Larry Crown walks in, and is like, "Is this speech two one seven? 
Um, and then she outlines what this course is going to be about, which apparently is caring for people. Uh, noticeable, of course, <laughs> that she she does some she does she writes the word care on the chalkboard. Uh, and then when we see it written later on, obviously the later one has been written by a PA or something because Julia Roberts does this live, and it's not it's not really legible. I guess that becomes a joke that like her handwriting is terrible because it looks like she's written Kane on the board <laughs> instead of care. Um, but yeah, I I mean it's funny because like she does she clearly didn't want to teach this class because it's like an eight o'clock class, and then when Larry Crowen shows up, she's almost annoyed. Uh, we get to meet some other people that are in the class, including. Oscar winner uh, Rami Malek, who is playing Steve DiBiase, who is clearly stoned out of his brain, um, but they don't really want to say that out loud, so they just have him hint at it here and there throughout the film. Um, you know, we also have um, other people, including Grace Gummer, who everyone will know as one of the daughters of Meryl Streep. Um, she, of course, would also be on Mr. Robot with Rami Malek. Uh, oh, really? Later I didn't on. Know that. Yeah, yeah. So we have two Mr. Robot people on here. Um, there's also a few other people, including someone who goes by the name Lala, Ma- uh, yeah. who is also in the econ class. Um, Malcolm Barrett. Um, Malcolm and- Barrett was very noticeable to me. He was he was in a an old yeah. sitcom called Better Off Ted, which I really enjoyed, and he was he was a very funny character in that. And he also has an out. He has one of those I have been in every television show you've ever heard of for the past <laughs> twenty years. He starts like yeah. Law and Order, Sopranos. It's always Sunny, the Ghost yeah. Whisperer. He did those back to back. Like, what a year that was! If you're doing the Ghost Whisperer, and then it's always Sunny in Philadelphia one week after the next. He did the the beautiful yeah. Psych Monk double, which is um, always always <laughs> always important. Like he's just been on everything. It's incredible. And um, he he's playing like like he he uh, some of these like these students get second names because he's Dave Mann. Yeah. Uh, Grace Gummer is Natalie Calamares. Uh, we obviously have Steve DiBiase and then Lala Pinedo, but I don't think she ever really says her second name. She says Lala, Lala yeah. when she gets to meet Talia in Econ 1. Um, so, yeah. Did I also notice um, Sarah Levy from Shit's Creek, yeah. Twilight? Yeah. Yes. You, you don't really see her full face till about halfway through. There's one scene. I can't remember what the scene is. And it's like, oh, that's Twilight. That was, yeah, it was a... <laughs> yeah. There's a, what's funny is... Uh, for each of the classes, if you count after this first class, if you count how many people are in each class, it's never ten again. It's always like eight or seven. <laughs> like, like the class never manages to be ten students. <laughs> even in the final, I think the final there's only nine. So like, for, even though that was a plot point at the start and will be a plot point later on, it, apparently once they've started the class, you don't need a quorum to keep teaching it. So, you know, they just keep teaching it. Uh, what I like about the Econ 1 class, apart from, of course, a wonderful performance from George Takai, I mean, like, it's it's weird because I get the impression his character was basically nothing on the page, but George Takai just kind of goes full ham and just, you know, I'm sure uh, so, uh, probably around this time William Shatner probably did something and George Takai was, like, extremely pissed off and angry and he was like, let me show you. Let me show you how you eat a ham on screen. And he basically <laughs> hams it up every single scene he's in. Um, but what I, what I find is funny is obviously Larry Crown is going to this Econ 1 class. And again, the numbering system makes no sense. And he sees Lala and, he's, and he just kind of kind of goes, hey. And they just like sits yeah. next to her because that's the only person he knows and, and just starts talking to her. And she's kind of like, "Who? what are you doing? Like, she's almost like, why did you sit next to me? Like, yeah. sit somewhere else. Like, you don't need, like, this is college. You don't need to sit next to someone you know. This is not like 
12th grade or whatever like you're not in school you're in college you just need to sit there and listen to the lecture and then go home you don't need to sit next to people that you know it's just like and if you're the mature age student at college as well it's just like no dude you do not do that you just yeah <laughs> oh, your own space i don't know how old lala is meant to be because i don't think she's meant to be like a younger student mm. that was at least that wasn't the impression i got i, th- I got the impression she was meant to be a little bit older um, yeah, still within 25 uh, years between uh, her and yeah oh no so, yeah Hanks is old enough to be her dad yeah. easily uh, it's also that weird yeah. thing of like I think the movie forgot that she doesn't know him but we do like it's almost like she's supposed to go hey Larry Crown it's like no no we know who he is she doesn't know who he is like that's because and but also I, Talia does act like that when she meets him like it, yeah because obviously Talia's only spoken to him while they're by yeah. the scooters and then now she's also got econ one class which i as once you find out more about her character doesn't make any sense i don't know why she's in this econ one class but she is um and you know so we get george takai who is playing uh dr ed uh matsutani i think is how he says it and he basically plugs like he's got here's the course guide written by phd (laughs) dr ed matsutani which is himself he's referring to himself in the third person it's just a wonderful it's probably my favorite thing in the entire film is like every time he's on screen, just like just doing his own thing, basically, you know, just being George Takai. Um, you know, like I said, appeared in The Great Book Howard. Um, you know, Tom only appeared in a couple of scenes in that, but he 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 sang What, what the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. <laughs> George Takai did in that oh, film. I have not seen that movie, <laughs> so obviously. Worth seeing. I would probably remember that. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think anyone's seen that movie, so it's worth watching just for that kind of weird George Takai thing. Um, but yeah so he's basically saying to all these people you know we're going to do economics and if you follow the course guide that he's given then you know you'll be successful this class I should note pretty much packed to the gills gigantic full you know this is a guy who's engaged with his students and wants to teach Judy Roberts class the next class she turns up in hasn't got enough people and she's like there's not enough people here there's like six people this is cancelled goodbye <laughs> and then kind of just leaves um you know she's she's had enough she doesn't want to do this for some reason um and the reason we find out is because her husband is brian cranston and all he does all day is pretend that he's doing work but it turns out he's just looking at porn although He's he's looking at just like pictures of of ladies in bikinis. Like yeah. it's not. He, 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 like he's lo- he's lo- he's looking at he's porn. looking at um what Trapper and you know Hawkeye would look at in Mash that come over, come over for the Korean yeah. War or something. It's a very like <laughs> I, that that whole thing is soft. It's what I would have yeah. imagined. Um, the Ooh La La magazine in Back to yeah. the Future Two. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, that's what that's where it is. It's just ladies in lingerie. It's nothing. You know, and what I what I find is funny. First of all, there's like a whole big deal about uh, Mercedes. That's the character Julia Roberts is playing. <laughs> but I'm just going to keep calling her Julia Roberts because her name is ridiculous. Uh, Mercedes. People call her Mercy, and her surname, which is which is spelt Taynot, but she insists that's not how it's pronounced, and she makes a big deal out of spelling it out. Um, and so we find. Well, I mean, we find out later on that that uh, Mr. Taynot here wrote a a novel years ago and you know it looks like it's, it looks like it's meant to be like an l ron hubbard type thing where it's like a gigantic thick like science fiction novel um and then he hasn't had any success and now he spends all these days blogging which obviously in 2011 you could make a living off of that yeah. uh, this is this is an early 2000s what, greg kinney character like almost to a t it's <laughs> almost like i can just i can just close my eyes and see greg kinney doing this exact character yeah 
Uh, yeah, because he's trying to fool his wife, saying that he's done this and this and. That. In fact, what it what it sounds like is he basically just does flame wars on forums. <laughs> that's basically, that's that's his that's his like that's why he does all day, and then he he, he like pretends that he's blogging about stuff. Uh, I fear that if this was set ten years earlier, or sorry, ten years later, uh, he would be a podcaster, um, and that was what he would be pretending to do all day. Um, which, yeah. So, but yeah, it, 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 what's funny as well is, of course, once he's caught by Julia Roberts, who is making herself. I mean, what is that drink? It looks like it's a margarita or something. She's like, she's put, poured a bunch of alcohol and ice into something. I'm pretty and, sure that's Cointreau. She gets out of the cupboard in the second time. Yeah, so I, I don't, I don't know. She, ne- she never really, she never really says no. what it is, is she? She just says it's the highlight of her day is drinking this. So, you know, we get the impression that she's, you know, she's a, she's an evening drunk and she doesn't really care about the classes during the day. Um, but she's, you know, she's caught him, and uh, you know, he calls it erotica, which I thought was funny because. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, he's caught, so he calls it erotica. I just thought that was like a nice little touch. Um, you know, we'll find out later on that he he enjoys big jugs, and uh, he's he's insisting that Julie Roberts does not have big jugs. But I one of the one of the, like the plot points of Erin Brockovich was literally her having like gigantic cleavage to distract people from the fact that she was a competent lawyer. So I don't know what you're talking about. Like in this film, Julie Roberts is not like flat chested or anything like what I, I don't know it's just a weird a weird plot point uh feels like neovardalis working out some demons or something they've been married for a long time and this is an issue in their marriage now yeah anyway yeah i mean i guess the internet didn't exist when they first got yeah. married i was i was very surprised when that plot point came up they'd been married a long time because it genuinely feels like maybe a four or five year thing where it's like but yeah that was a it was strange that didn't quite get that dynamic right in the in the script or whatever. There's, there was never any moments of where you could see yeah, why they exactly. were together. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, he's just the one dimensional, yeah. you know, dickhead. And that's it. And she yeah. already hates him. And and and, and the movie tells us she's right too, which she is from what we've seen as the viewers. She's absolutely right to hate him. So there's no dynamics there. It's just, look at this. Yeah. Look at this dickhead. Um, in the class, uh, Gracie Gummer, uh, turns out she plays lacrosse. And so she does a little speech about lacrosse. She does the whole be aggressive thing. Uh, then Ms. Crown is called upon, uh, to which Larry says, I think you mean Mr. Crown. Um, and she's like, yeah, sure. I don't know why they did that. Like, I'm not quite sure because he literally walked into her class and made it quorum by announcing his name. Uh, So why, how would she forget that? How would she forget that this is the guy who's forced her to teach this class? Also, you called the uh, movie basically. Larry Crown. Like, we not like, yeah, it's a very strange joke because well, it serves nothing. I mean, originally it was called Talk of the Town, um, which I don't know that I would have seen a film called Talk of the Town either. Is that true? I guess, you know. Talk of the Town. Yes. How does that even apply to this movie? <laughs> uh, I should also say as well, like. Technically speaking, this film is based on real events in that there was a friend of Tom Hanks called uh, Jim Chandler and he got fired and, you know, went to college. And this is kind of it's not like a tr- like, it's not true life in the sense that it's like, a you know, Captain Phillips or whatever. Um, but it's it's like just kind of based on his kind of life. And that's Nina Vardalis was the one who kind of did the original kind of the first draft of the screenplay based on his story. Um, and then obviously Tom came in and rewrote little bits of it. Um, well, I guess uh, I mean it is a story full of full of drama, a story that needed <laughs> to be told. So, yeah, here we are. Yeah, so accidentally being called Ms. Crown. Um, <laughs> is, I get, it's funny because like later on in the like later on in the film, he'll call her Ms. Tainot, and she'll say she's Mrs. 
and he's like, oh, I thought you preferred Miz. So I don't know if that's meant to be a little, like a little joke about this this bit, but, you know. Um, he gives an extremely boring speech about French toast that no one pays attention to. Um, and then Rami Malek gets up and he talks about toaster waffles in a very enthusiastic way as though he thinks he's in a Bill and Ted film. Yeah, yeah. He, he's um, seen... That's, I yeah, noticed that too. Very it's And it's um, <laughs> straight Sean Penn too in school from Fast Times as well. Like... It's a got, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a lot Lineage. of kind of like stoner influences that he's like throwing in yeah. there um, in this particular character. Absolutely nothing, of course, like Freddie Mercury, who never went anywhere near drugs. Um, and uh, yeah, so in econ class, uh, Larry is texting uh, with uh, Talia and he gets his phone taken away by George Takai. Something which happens like every single time from this point on that he's in econ class. And then there's a whole big thing at the end with him like being given his phone back, uh, which, I, you know, I thought as a nice little running gag. But what I like is like George Takai's kind of like annoyance as well. <laughs> Somebody's like texting on a phone. Um, and I got to say this, like, like, I mean, I don't know why he cares. Just give your lecture. If people pay attention or don't pay attention, you're getting paid either way. So just let, if they're all on their phones, just let them go on their phones. But I think this is where he says they're called smartphones, but don't need dummies. Use them. <laughs> and I'm like, boom, boom. yeah, <laughs> I was like, that must have took me I, uh, weeks to come up with that joke. Um, I, I think that he was he was mad because he knew that she was texting him using Comic Sans. <laughs> yeah, that is a weird choice. Like, uh, like not using like a text font, but just like each. And later on, when he texts back, he doesn't text back in in Comic Sans. So there's a no, suggestion. I, that I guess that means that her phone Tommy is a free spirit. I mean, her phone is Comic Sans. Yeah, her phone her phone is forcing Comic Sans onto his phone somehow. Does not make any sense at all. The uh, timing, though. Yeah, I should. I should. For say- sports fans, that was the time. It's a very niche thing, but Comic Sans had a really big moment around then because when LeBron James left Cleveland to go to Miami, um, when in free agency, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who is a multi, multi, multi billionaire and a complete madman, wrote like a big open letter to everyone, but it was in Comic Sans. It's. It's worth looking because okay. it's it's all about this, but it's, it's and it just no one could believe that he did this entire letter in Comic Sans, like as a public letter. Some people, some people just like that font. They're wrong, but you know they they just like it. Um, yeah. So, I, well, yeah, I, you know, so yeah. I mean, you know, like they've got phones. Um, they've got, but he's got a flip phone. It's not, it's, it's not a smartphone. So, like. I don't know why he said... I mean, you know, the smartphone gag would have made sense if he had an iPhone or something, but he doesn't. Um, you know, and there was another There's another thing where Rami Malek answers the phone and, you know, again, he also gets told off. It's like, this is around the time that, like... Uh, in 2011, phones... Like, everyone had mobile phones. Like, why is this, why is this suddenly, yeah. like, a, a weird... And that smartphone joke feels a lot more 2008 than 2011 because by 2011, people just had phones. Like, they... Very rarely do people spend their time saying smartphones these days, unless they specifically wish to refer to what they call a dumb phone, which is what most people would just call a mobile phone back in the day. Uh, yeah, so you know, people keep taking their phones out during lectures, and uh, you know, the people doing the lecturing don't like it. Uh, we are thirty-three minutes in, and we get to finally meet <laughs> the star of the show, Wilma Valderrama, playing the character that is identified as. Um, was it was his what do they call D him? Gordon his name? or Gordon D or something? Del. Del. Yeah, Del Del Gordo. Yeah. Uh whose real name later on we'll find out is Gordon. 
We should also say as well, Talia has been flirting with Larry Crown by calling him... Uh, what is La- the Lance. name that she gives him? Lance Corona. Lance, Lance, Corona. Lance Corona. Yeah. Which possibly a better title for the movie? <laughs> maybe, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. But because she's a free spirit, her name isn't Talia either. So she just spends her time renaming everybody with different names. Um, but yeah, Wilma Valderrama uh, and the Scooter Gang, uh, they meet Larry as he's trying to get on his scooter. And they do some, for some reason, they all start clicking like in time as if they're suddenly going to break out into like the sharks and the yeah, jets. I... <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what this is all about. Uh, but it doesn't make any difference because they welcome him into the gang and then they go scooting. Um, and you know Larry's like where are we going and Talia being a free spirit she's like you know we're just riding around until we get hungry and then we <laughs> and then we go eat and that's it like there's no real aim uh, to what they're doing um, and, and so of course they end up at Frank's restaurant which is owned by star of Cougar Town Ian Gomez um, and just said his uh, full name rep- um, I I, I did like Frank's man. I would I would love to go to this place. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. breakfast looked good. There's a breakfast montage later in the film. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. It, it hasn't occurred to Tom Hanks, a person who apparently served in the military with this person and who owns a restaurant, <laughs> that maybe he could get a job working at this restaurant to make ends meet. But instead, you know, I, 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 at this point, I don't. He's not employed, so I don't know how. He, like, he's just gone to college, so I don't know how he's making money. I don't know how he's covering the mortgage. To be honest with you, at this point, um, you know, maybe that'll become an issue later on. Um, but yeah, and then you know, they're about to go. You know, they're like, "What do we do now?" And you know, uh, Talia's like, "We just go to places, you know, like uh, thrift stores or whatever." And he's like, do "You know what? I know a great yard sale." And so they all go to Lamar's. Uh, for for his his daily yard sale that he has, uh, we do get a line where Cedric Entertainer says Cedric the Entertainer says we're being invaded <laughs> when he sees all the bikes, which I thought was mildly humorous. But again, Cedric not really living up to this entertainer moniker that he's decided to put out there. Um, you know, most times he's just mildly amusing. Um, it's, it's um. Can I ask you guys too? Just re- reference to Cedric the Entertainer. Is yeah. his entire role in this film? Is he sitting down? For the entire his entire role, uh, when he gives in the catalog, he's standing he's up. At all. When he gives in the catalog, he's actually standing yeah, up inside yeah. the garage next to next and to. Oh, right, right, okay. But that's right. when he buys the bike. Yeah, when he's working on the bike, yeah, and when he well, the, 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 yeah, okay. they're talking about the bike, and he's yeah, he's standing up to haggle about that. I, but the rest I, of the I rest of the like film, him. yeah, he is seated <laughs> for the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's just like yeah, just say your lines in the deck chair, Cedric. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I should say I I saw uh, uh, you know obviously Cedric the Entertainer when he did uh, the original Kings of Comedy, which was a, a documentary film that was done by Spike Lee. Uh, when I saw that at the cinema, there was me and three other people. By the time we got to the end of that film, just me left. <laughs> everybody uh, else, everybody uh-oh. else, kind of walked out after. Like at each segment, as it went on, they were like, "No, I think like I don't think I don't think we're going to stay. I think <laughs> I think we're done with that." Uh, you know, I, I said that. I mean. The, like it opens with Steve Harvey, who is a terrible human being, um, <laughs> who people seem to think is funny because of his stuff that he does on like Family Feud in America, um, and his and his like his terrible wig. Um, you know, Steve Harvey's been bald for a long time, but he did wear like a a wig for a number of years. Forgot about that. It's in that movie. Um, He's wearing it right in the middle, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I mean, you also had like D. L. Hewley, who who I thought was 
out of the four of the guys that was on there, I thought was you know he was quite good. Cedric the Entertainer, I don't remember his his thing being too funny, but there was like a, a lot of like Monica Lewinsky material, and I was like, this is like five years out of date. Not really that. Not really that funny. Like, um, and then it finished with Bernie Mac, and Bernie Mac was. It's worth seeing that that film just for, for like that his like his whole stand up part at the end. Bernie Mac does is just hilarious. Like it's really funny. Oh. Um, you know, it it shows why he, like nice. out out of him like you know it was like he, he, like his is really the funny. There's, there's, I mean, there's some language in there I don't think people would find acceptable these days. But this was like twenty something years ago. But yeah, like his stuff was kind of funny. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, uh, that's where I knew cool. Cedric the Entertainer from before this. And then I'm not sure that I've seen him in anything else. I mean, I saw him in Intolerable Cruelty when I watched that on DVD. Yeah, that's a... I think I uh, think he's on a sitcom with Schmidt from. He is, yeah. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. The neighborhood, yeah. Which yeah. which is about him being annoyed with a white person moving into a black neighborhood. And it is, and that's the entire premise. I've only seen maybe uh, it's on a TV channel here that sometimes you go past in Australia and. You watch two or three minutes of it, and it might be the cheapest sitcom I've seen in a long, long time. <laughs> like the sets are just yeah. nothing. It's a oh no, yeah. There's there's never any pretense that it's anything other than a oh, sitcom set. Holy moly! Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, and I, I mean, I uh, he was also in. Uh, he also did like a voice in um, what you call it in Madagascar. Madagascar yeah. Uh, yeah, I like Madagascar three. It's that, it's got the whole thing where it's got circus afro. Uh, which is like a funny thing where uh, what's his name? Who's the guy? Chris Rock. He does a thing where he's like circus afro. Is like he does like a little song where he sings that. <laughs> it's just really funny. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so they end up at this yard sale, and of course, uh, you know, Larry leaves them because they're all like haggling with uh, with Lamar about various things they wish to buy, uh, and then they come into his house. Uh, and Carly Reeves uh, plays a character here called Sal, and she's going to give him a haircut. Carly Reeves was also in Charlie Wilson's War as a slave girl at the slave auction thing that Julia Roberts held, mm-hmm. um, and she's actually Tom Hanks's niece-in-law. Uh, so I don't know how on earth she ended up in this film. Uh, it's not like Tom Hanks just casts family and friends in his films. Um, so yeah, they rearrange his lounge while she gives him a haircut, and I'll have to say this as well. I mean, ha- fellas, are we believing this hair at the start? What of the is film? happening? When the film opens up, why is it like this? Yeah, are you believing that hair? It's it's dyed, and it's like his. Clearly, Tom Hanks is fighting against. I mean, obviously, his trademark in the eighties was his hair, uh, and he's shouting, and he, you know, those were his two things that he was known for: hair and shouting. Uh, you know, on on the big poster, you got Tom Hanks's face, and seventy five percent of it is his hair because he's got so much hair. Um, and then you get to this film, and I don't know what they did at the start of the film, but he's like they've obviously dyed it a certain way and cut it a certain way so that they can have this like makeover. And as the film goes on, you'll see that there's like there's less and less dye in his hair, and you start to see like his hair like Gray. graying it a little bit. Naturally, yeah, yeah, I know this is not. Is it supposed to be like that? Yeah. Like this? Because I almost thought that they had to put this scene in. Like I know it's a makeover thing as well, but it almost had the idea that like. Oh man, we're gonna have to explain this hair. Like he had it from a movie. He couldn't <laughs> stop angels and demons. Like he had to do it. But it was too far. They weren't. They were too far either side. So it wasn't that. It's just a very, very strange. Even the no, the I, look is because this is probably oh, uh, this is like the last embers of him looking 
he's not an older man. Like he's a, he's a middle like yeah. he can just just sneak into middle age. I don't know, man. I think I think that ship is sailed. But this doesn't um, help. Like that hair <laughs> does not help. Whatever they're doing with it, because it, it makes him look fleshier. I think it, it makes I, him look weird. To to me, I think it definitely is a, a hangover from Angels and Demons. Mm. He obviously like grew his hair out a little bit and dyed it for that, so it's it's kind of black in that film. And then here, I think they've tried to take some of that out, but it, they've just ended up going in the wrong direction. Uh, and then, yeah, halfway through the film, they have to be like, yeah, we're going to have to t- sort out his hair because, <laughs> because it, like, you know, it just doesn't make any I mean, sense. I'll listen to it soon, um, Darren, but can you give me an approximate percentage of how much of Angels and Demon the podcast is about the hair? Like, it, not much. It's so baffling. I, you know, that entire thing is so, it's still like all these years later as to why you would sabotage what was a fairly complete trash movie anyway with whatever the hell that was. I mean, Da Vinci Code, his hair's worse. Yes. Like, his hair's a wig in that, clearly. Yeah. But yeah, for, for Angels and Demons, obviously, I think he was like, I'm not going to wear another we wig, so you're just going to have to do whatever yeah. you can with Oh, sorry, I'm, I, yeah. I did mean the Da Vinci Code, not not the uh, not Angels yeah. and Demons. Yeah, oh no, I mean, I only mentioned it in passing, because it's kind of cliche at this point to kind of talk about the hair. Uh, yeah. yeah, with this being the early 2000s, they mentioned Feng Shui, which they, in this case, I don't think they actually did anything with. It's, I mean, let's let's get this out there right now. Feng Shui is nonsense. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's whole things about like you shouldn't have your bed pointing towards your door and all this kind of stuff. Uh, some of that is just kind of normal design stuff that makes sense. There's no fun. No, out I there. believe I, I believe that um, if you throw a scarf over a lamp, it can change your life. <laughs> when it catches fire, yeah. and burns your house down. <laughs> yeah. um, you and will then be homeless. It's so. right, right next to all of his records as well. So that's you know, red <laughs> like. There's a lot of paper there that could easily catch fire. Yeah, I did think that as well. I was like, "That's not, that's not fair." In no, nowhere in Feng Shui yeah. would they ever say put a scarf over. My partner like, actually turned to the my two, my two young daughters were sitting here, and she went, "Never do that. Never do that." Like that was the movie. <laughs> that was that was. <laughs> yeah. If you take anything away exactly, from Larry Crown, yeah. you won't. One, but if you do, go. One, go to college. <laughs> two, don't put a thing over exactly. a lamp. Yeah. Um, we then get this really weird sequence where he's driving alongside Julia Roberts and Julia Roberts is is singing along to the Mikado, I think. Um, and he keeps kind of coming into her peripheral view, but she doesn't see him until they get to like a stop. And then he like knocks on the window and she she's basically just singing over the top of the map genie because it just keeps saying turn right or whatever over and over again. And the reason it keeps saying that is because she hasn't set it up properly. And obviously Larry Crown, having worked at a big box store where they sold electronics like this, he just leans right in over her and just starts setting it up. And she's just like squished against her chair while he's like fully with his helmet on still, doesn't even take his helmet off, fully in the car, just going through all the different menus. And I was like, this is a really weird, like... I mean, it's meant to be like kind of charming or something, but it's just such a weird sequence. This basic stranger, because she's only met him a couple of times in class, is just leaning into your car and just messing around with your electronics. And, and th- this is kind of leaning into um, what I was saying before about the character, like how I felt he's that little bit not all there. Because read the room, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, I did. I was like, this is a joke. Like, I guess I'm, I'm thinking this is a joke. Because it goes on, he's changing this, he's changing that, and it, it, the scene is extended out. 
But then afterwards, it's like, I know that was a joke, but was it a joke? Mm. I don't know. Like, I, I, I just, yeah. It, it, just it feels like the... The constant use of, like, as he says, you go to this menu and do this and then set this and then, like, it keeps going on. Like, you think it's just going to be in a couple of things he's going to be done, but he just keeps going on and on. And then he goes and then you go back, 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 back to get <laughs> It's like, it just I, I, I just, I just jumped straight to Google Maps off my phone. I never had a clunky GPS in my car. So maybe there's a joke there, but yeah, I, I, yeah. maybe if you're over 50. It's, it's weird because obviously earlier there was like a passing mention where Pam Greer complained about the fact that everyone's attention span has been diminished by Facebook and Twitter. I don't understand how that works because, but okay, right. We've had the mention of the eBay. And then I think the fact that we've got like this, you know, this GPS device that's that's kind of just keeps talking over the, and it, the, the voice, by the way, is Nia Vardolas, who's talking over the top, uh, constantly right. saying, turn left, turn left. Like, Again, like all of this is very much putting it in, and along with like the flip phones as well, is putting it in 2011. <laughs> like it's really making it very 2011. Because like literally a couple of years after this, nobody would have these. Everyone would just go to their phone. And a few years before this, yeah. like everybody was like it was a novelty to have like a, a GPS that like you know was separate and would tell you stuff. And I even over here, like the police were like warning people about like because obviously everyone like would attach them with like a little plunger thing to the window. And they were like, you know, mm-hmm. warning people, you know, take them out, like take them when you when you finish your journey, take them off your window because otherwise, you know, thieves will steal them. But it's like they cost like 50 quid to buy. Like who's who's going to the trouble of breaking into a car to steal their GPS? Like, I mean, and like after 2011s, especially like who's going to that trouble? Um, I, will, I will say, but yeah, um, like I, we haven't really spoken about it yet, but I did find that Julia Roberts, who's not I generally she hasn't been in a lot of movies that I love and she's not my favorite actress, but I really enjoyed her in this. And in, when she's singing, she's completely unselfconscious. When he sort of leans in, she's got the very sort of sly, Oh, I was doing it because of this. She has a really relaxed manner in this movie, which she doesn't often have. I, I totally yeah. agree. Actually. Like, uh, she's not, yeah, I can see why she's a star, but that scene where she's singing, that was possibly one of the only times in the movie. Uh, yeah, a bit of a chuckle. She's just sort of doing it. And yeah. She, yeah, she's, and she's, she's just so good. cruisy in this movie. I think even more than her, her character's like Hanks, right? It's not written in a, a way that's very consistent. But she sort of seems to grab into a little bit more of a, a groove earlier. So you know who she is. You know that she hates this guy. You know she doesn't really like a job and she wants to do something else. But she's don't know. You, we never understand what that is. Like we don't get that. Just that it's not him. <laughs> No, half of the role she's wearing yeah. giant sunglasses, so I think like she just j- jumps between drunk yeah. and hungover for you know. But she also of the film. they shoot yeah. her like the, she's the one that gets the movie star. Like she looks incredible. I will say that. Like I, I have no idea she how does. old Julia. I wouldn't be able to tell you, and not that it matters. But she looks spectacular in this movie the whole way through. Um, I think she's around forty two, forty three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that. I mean, like I said, I'm sure she'll be a good looking woman till the day she dies. Yeah. But she, it was, um, yeah. She she gives it the full. She gets the full Hollywood treatment. She gets the framing. She gets everything, and for good reason. She looks she looks great, and she's yeah. She she's got a real sly sort of much closer to her um, Charlie Wilson's War sort of style than she had earlier, which I think she was always a little bit more pronounced and formal and and pushy as an actress uh, not pushy as in that but like she would push as an actress or um whereas in this one yeah. she feels she looks completely comfortable within herself which is it's it's awesome to watch i have a feeling only this and oceans 11 and charlie wilson's war are the only three julia roberts films i've ever seen in the cinema 
I don't think I've seen her in anything else because I'm not generally a fan. Her, ba- her, of her the work. back but end I think of her she's, career, has she's been, enjoyable in this. Has been yeah. very strange. Like the 2000s have been a sort of the late 2000s after, sort of after Ocean's Twelve and and Charlie Wilson's War has been a really strange career. I think she stepped back a little bit to do other things. I'm sure. Um, I think she stayed up to, yeah, to have yeah, a family. She didn't doing she? as much work. Yeah, she's had a few kids. Hmm. Yeah. But I mean, you know, she did Eat, Pray, Love like the year before this, which was gigantic, wasn't it? So I guess it was. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. A lot of people made jokes about it. Even to this day, people yeah. still make jokes about Eat, Pray, Love. She did the two... Um, um, I, I've never seen it, but I, I know Mark Kermode's review. Uh, but yeah, so Julia Roberts seems newly invigorated and she actually gives some, some teaching advice. She actually does some teaching. Um, and then we see Larry Crown in Econ 1 and he gets a question right uh, that Talia just kind of... <laughs> kind of bats away she's like i don't know and then and then tom hanks like gives the right answer and you know george takai is like there's a man who's read the course materials as written by phd doctor whatever um and then this is the point where larry is talking to frank and he's like could i you know frank's like if you want a job why don't you work here it feels like we shouldn't have taken an hour into the film to get to that point um but we are and so he has to audition for raul who apparently is uh cruel but fair um, a tough buffet, should I say? And we get a bit ourselves a bit of a cooking montage as he makes some stuff. We never told what it is. We just see a lot of chopping of stuff and stuff being eggs being broken, and it looks nice at the end. I mean, yeah. it looks like he's doing like an omelet or something. But now, I now I kind of wonder. His days in the navy was he just a breakfast cook? Because all of the food that he cooks and he, that he speaks food. about in class, it's always breakfast food. I think maybe that's just what he liked to make. And so, obviously, he might have done everything else. But, you know, if, if he's allowed to make stuff, then maybe it's just like his breakfast. Pa- passion is, is breakfast. You know. Yeah. That's his, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, that's his, that's his specialty. Ra- that's what he got a couple of yeah. medals for, is making breakfast. Ra- Raul, um, <laughs> in my thing, I don't, I'm not, this actor is, I mean, it's a small part and, and Raul's fine. He's, he's He does it well. But this is also prime Luis Gonzalez. Like, that's, in my head, I was like, ah, oh, that's him. That's that's who it would be. Oh, sorry, Luis Guzman. It's a Luis Guzman role. Like yeah. it's that exact type of person. A bit tough but fair and funny sort of thing is almost. That's his perfect wheelhouse. Smash cut. Malcolm Barrett is talking about Deep Space Nine whilst wearing a next gen uniform. I'm sorry, Malcolm. If you're claiming to be a fan of Deep Space Nine, don't wear a season two to seven TNG uniform. Wear a Deep Space Nine uniform, which by 2011. Deep Space Nine was long over, and you would definitely be wearing the the reverse. You would have the black on the top, and you'd have the color on the body instead of the other way around. He was wearing sorry, well into the Kelvin universe by now. Well, yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, he's ta- and and I think it's funny because Julia Roberts like doesn't care at all, so she's like, you know, you know, thanks very much for your talk about Star Wars, <laughs> which I don't know. It's just, again. I mean, it feels like a lazy joke, but it's still kind of funny. Did she say the Star Wars, uh, but at this which t- made me laugh. I think. Which is an, another lazy yeah. joke, but she sells it like, <laughs> yeah. She's like, "Thanks for telling us about the Star yeah. Wars." Um, uh, obviously, he's extremely outraged that somebody is dead to kind of do that. But yeah, you know, Larry is uh, is late for college, and he goes up to George Takai and apologizes. And of course, George Takai's like, "This is not school. You don't have mm. to apologize. You know, you just have to sit down and not use your phone." So of course, he gives his phone. Is that where Talia uh, is, is worried that he missed? Gang. He's missed class. Where are you? And I'm like, man, did you ever go to uni? Like, no. Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah. There was people I lived with that didn't yeah. come to class, and I wouldn't ask them why. Like, that, that's just not how it worked. 
Yeah, att- like attendance is not. I mean, I guess it's mandatory to a yeah. certain point, but yeah, if people don't turn up to classes, you don't spend your time wondering why. Um, but yeah, we obviously see that Julia Roberts is not happy. She's not happy about stuff. She's not. Uh, she's sitting in a car. It's raining. She's just not happy with life. She's trying to come up with with pop topics. Um, I like that she like kind of got mad at him, and he's like, you know, t- tomorrow you're gonna have to like talk about stuff for two minutes. <laughs> it's like everything seems to be talk about something for two minutes. It doesn't seem like a particularly challenging class. It's, like, can I just chuck in like, do you, so I in my day to day life, I'm a teacher. Um, when you are teaching students, just making them talk about any subject that they know nothing about for two minutes. Like when you're teaching, you need to have a, a reason. You, you have to be understand what you are teaching. I'm teaching this particular point, and that is the purpose of my <laughs> lesson. What the fuck, Julia Roberts? There is no purpose for this lesson. No. Yeah, just go and talk about whatever shit for two minutes and great. Well, no, well not in that. Sorry, but just, it pissed the, me off. The thing is, as well, is she hates being she hates being a teacher. But like like you say, Dan, she she's never given an idea of what else she wants to do. So, like, she's just doing this for the money. I don't, but, but then that, that then her entire class just becomes about how bored she is with being a teacher. And it's like, this is not this is not productive. Like, this is it's not helping many people. But at, but at the end, they love her and they think she's a great teacher. Stop that, she's yeah, not. Because, because, you know, she does one good lesson. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So, we see here that Larry has gone to this donut shop where Julia Roberts happens to be sitting in a car in the rain um, after, you know, not attending her class. Um, and so, you know, she notices that, uh, Larry is with Talia and, you know, they're eating donuts out of each other's hands or whatever, like something that really annoys her. So of course the next, the next day when he comes to class, Larry's had a makeover, which everybody notices very, you know, I should say, of course, uh, they went to like a storage locker where Talia has got like a bunch of clothes and there's a whole hilarious thing where he took off his, his trousers just as Wilma Valderrama arrived and, uh, which, which is which weird. Is a running gag. Which is weird because earlier in the film, Wilma Val- Valderrama, obviously, he made it clear that he is the girlfriend. He's the boyfriend of Talia, and then like he had like a handshake with with um with Larry Crown, where he like said what his real name was. So you thought that that was settled and it wasn't going to be an issue, but apparently it's still an issue that Larry Crown is spending time with Talia when it's clear that he has no interest in her, and she just keeps like jokingly calling him Lance Corona, like. It- in any other movie, that would have been a plot thread. Yeah, like there's that little love triangle that would have been a plot plot thread, but not for Larry Crown. No, um, but yeah. So uh, obviously, out of spite, Larry Crown is first to speak, um, and the topic is interior design, which turns into him telling this story about Talia, and everybody likes it, and it's very funny. And then Julia Roberts is like, "Did anyone remember anything from that story?" And then, like, someone goes, yeah, Feng Shui. And then, and then they, like, they did actually remember all the details. Uh, apart from, of course, Rami Malek, who's stoned out of his mind, I assume. And he, he can't remember. Like, he kind of says something, but it's wrong. Uh, which is the hilarious thing that he does uh, for all of the film. I watched uh, this movie end to end. Yeah. I genuinely, when you were talking about that, forgot that scene. <laughs> the bit where he talks about <laughs> yeah. The bit where he talks about it. I was like, I was there. I was staring at it like an hour ago. And I'm just like... I cannot remember that little bit. And then I was like, ah, oh, the, yeah, yeah, he's good Lord. This is, this is where Julia Roberts at the end of that says Chester is up next. And I have to assume that is a shout out to everyone's favorite rapper, Chet Hayes, uh, who of course his real name is Chester. 
we find out that Talia has rented a storefront um, and she's taken a look at it. Um, and when Larry turns up, she shows her tattoo off to him uh, that she insists says like free spirit. But he reveals to her how she says soy sauce. <laughs> so again, I don't know why I like that's a, to me, like, obviously, that's a funny thing that can happen. But I'm like, you know, with people getting like kanji tattoos, but like. It doesn't make any sense to me that that so the the tattoo artist would have done that to her, because she is seen as somebody who is so beautiful that she charms everyone around her. She is much like Summer in Five Hundred Days of Summer, who you know constantly people would give her stuff for free because she was so beautiful. So like, why would a tattoo artist take revenge and tattoo the word soy sauce on like as a tramp stamp? It doesn't make any mm. sense. I don't understand why that's in there. Like, that feels like a, a joke from a completely different film. Um, but what I do like is that Larry is basically staring at her lower back. And then Wilma Valderrama is, like, banging on the glass going, I can see you. He's like, I can see through glass. Which, I like that line because, like, everyone can see through glass, <laughs> Wilma Valderrama. But I like that this character felt the need to say that. And, they're like, both hit, both Larry and Talia are, like, looking at him like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and like, just a kind of weird, funny thing. Uh, but now the movie takes a turn uh, because for some reason even though Julia Roberts hates her husband her and Brian Cranston go out on date night to some yield puppy oh type place which again I didn't know why they went to that place but apparently they've got some cheesecake that is good and so they're taking the cheesecake home um, yeah that was a really weird this why where... they're there is strange it's completely the wrong place for those characters like it makes the yeah, only sense it, it would have made any, is yeah. if they ran into other people there that but there's yeah. no reason for them to be in that area at all like the way he's dressed the way she's like nope. it's it's ridiculous no it looks like they're going to like a fancy yeah. restaurant not a local pub uh, but yeah, so they they kind of are having an argument and he <laughs> when they're in the car he's he says okay he likes big knockers and she hasn't got big knockers and so and i'm like what is good like i what is this film this is basically kind of the almost the last scene from brian cranston as well he's nearly out yeah. of this film but yeah so she gets mad uh she does like the kind of seething mad thing where she's like stop the car um and he doesn't want to stop the car and then she, you know he stops the car and she gets out of the car and you know she's sitting at a bus stop i, I don't know that she's actually going to catch a bus i think it's just a place for her mm. to sit down um so she and he obviously drives off uh and then as for some like the mo the like the scooter gang are scooting past and talia spots julia roberts and then points it out to larry and is like oh look who that is and so they peel off and they go like they they go around to her but the rest of the scooter gang keeps on going whereas previously the scooter gang pretty much fought whoever was in front they would mm. just follow them wherever they were going so i don't know why nobody followed them to the other side of the road and it would have been funny if, like, 20 people on scooters had come around with them. That would have been a funny visual gag. Been. But they didn't do that. Yeah. Instead, they just peel off and nobody seems to care. And they just keep going scooting away. Um, and we find out that, like, Julia Roberts is kind of a- angry at Talia because she thinks that Larry Crown is having a relationship with Talia. And, you know, she's a little bit drunk. And he's like, do you want to lift? And she's like, no, I'll just walk home. And it turns out she's wearing high heels. And he's like, in those high heels? And then she kind of reluctantly gets on the back of his scooter. Um, and she doesn't want to put the helmet on. And he's like, it's the law. Uh, so you have to put the helmet on. Um, you know, and then he he rides very, very slowly to take her home. Because obviously he's never had anyone uh, as a passenger on his scooter. So he doesn't want to end up in an accident. 
all of this stuff could have just been cut. You could have just had her get on the scooter and they cut to them getting home. You, you didn't need all this nonsense. Uh, it's not really building anything. It's just making this scene go a little bit longer than it needs to actually go. Um, but, you know, by the time you they get... get... The... Okay, so you get the comeuppance of Brian Cranston, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, that's the yeah. That, I mean, I guess that is kind of funny. They ride past him being arrested, but he doesn't like he doesn't notice them. She just like yells out yeah. to the. So I'm like, it would have been funny if he'd have looked and seen her on the back of the scooter, and that like then he like he would have been like, who's that on? You know, who's the scooter? Who's the guy driving the scooter? Like it would have been a conflict that they could have talked about, but we'll find out that the scene after this that. It gets resolved pretty quick. I, I just guess um, it's really strange too that um, the movie doesn't seem to mention that uh, Julia Roberts was quite happy to let Brian Cranston drive drunk in the first place as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like yeah. no issue there. Yeah, I mean it's seen as funny because he's getting arrested for driving drunk, but at the same time, yeah, she was already like, he could have gone yeah. into an accident or hurt someone. Yeah, so she should have been yeah, concerned. Yeah, there was no point. That. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, she was happy to be in the car drunk with him because obviously we find out as she finally gets home, she hasn't got her key. Um, and so Larry has to find the hidden key that's in the flowers. I don't know why he had to do that. Why couldn't she just grab that key? We didn't need that interaction. Again, extra stuff doesn't make any sense. And then she says she's got to disarm the alarm, which is kind of funny because the number on it is 22222. <laughs> so that's like, so kind of funny that she's trying to keep that secret, but it's, it's just 22222. Uh, it did remind me of the uh, the song. Uh, is it by who's it by? Uh, uh, ring ring. De La uh, Soul. Yeah, the De La Soul thing, and the number is two 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 two. It is, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was like, oh, it's funny that it's just all the two. Richie Beno here. Um, I mean, I don't think Julia Roberts knows Richie Beno, so I don't think that was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. an influence, That's what I was yeah. thinking of. I was immediately thinking Richie for our international listeners. Uh, I don't know. Look it up. Who knows? And so, uh, once she gets in the flat, for some reason, as the night has gone on, she's become progressively drunk. In the car, she was just angry and seemed relatively sober, but now she's back home, she's extremely drunk and drunk enough that she decides to assault uh, Larry Crown. <laughs> she basically, like, kisses him. Like, I mean, it's a big kiss. Like, mm. Uh, it's also notable that Tom Hanks' head is at an angle that suggests maybe he's not kissing Julia Roberts. Uh, you know, maybe Rita was on set that day and he, you know, they're not really kind of... The way the kiss is done, you can't see them actually kissing. You just see their heads kind of together. Um, but she is like almost climbing up him mm. uh, with this, this first kiss. And then, <laughs> then after it finishes, she's like... She, she like basically is about to go for a second kiss and he's like, no, 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 <laughs> kind of steps back. Um, which obviously is idiocy. If Julia Roberts is like drunk kissing you and then is like, let's kiss again. I don't know that you'd be, I mean, he's not married. Like she's married. This is where he does the thing about, he calls her Ms. And she's like, no, I'm a Mrs. I'm married. And then right after that, she's like, kiss me. <laughs> and then just kisses him. So like, you know, if Julia Roberts is happy with, you know, being an adulteress, then I don't know why you would turn her down the but second I, I guess he, he doesn't want to take advantage of her while she's yeah, I guess. I mean, he, I mean, he, he's a nice guy. He didn't push her off the first time. <laughs> like that kiss goes on for quite a while. I was expecting the push off there, but no, he just turns down the second kiss. Um, you know, obviously she is going to be embarrassed about this kind of stuff. Uh, but in between, she gets super mad at her husband, and when he arrives home the next day, all of his stuff is outside, including his computer that's turned on. 
and on the like oh, big yeah. extension, extension cord going on there it's a long one it's the, it's the one you use <laughs> for doing, doing the electric mowing but i think it's weird that she turned on his computer and left it on outside for everybody to see like as an act of revenge but obviously that means she's got to plug it into the extension cord so she's that's a lot yeah. of effort um you know she, she like scarlet lettering him or something maybe some but the, internet the weirdest thing the weirdest thing is though of course when she's in class literally at, like minutes later i'm assuming she's got gigantic sunglasses on and she's clearly hung over so she threw all his stuff out while yeah. she was hung over or while she was drunk. I don't know when she did it, but still, it's a lot of effort for somebody who's either inebriated or uh, hungover to yeah, do. Yeah, that, that's, that's the last energy of a drunk before you collapse into bed. That's, that's not <laughs> a get up first thing in the morning, hungover task. That was why she was coming on to Tom, because she didn't actually want to have sex with him. She just wanted help to clear out the furniture. Yeah. Strong parent. Um, we see that the students are having an enthusiastic fake debate. I don't know what it's meant to be, but I think they're arguing that something is good or bad and they don't really care. And they're just doing it very loudly because, of course, she's hungover. So, of course, this is when the class suddenly gets, loud, gets very yeah. enthusiastic. Um, and I noted there were only eight students in the class, so really she should have cancelled that class. <laughs> um, after class is over, she asks Larry to come talk to him. And obviously she's like, uh, it was not appropriate. You know, don't talk about it with anyone. And he's like, yeah, sure. You know, like he's not going to tell anyone. Um, you know, because who would who would who would brag about being kissed by Julie Roberts? Clearly nobody. Um, you know, the old hag that she is at this point. I mean, you know, it's not worth. I mean, it's funny because I, I would have been. It would have been a, a really funny gag if he he's like, I won't tell anyone from now, uh, suggesting that maybe he's already told everyone in the class what happened. Last it also night. gives that idea. Um, it's that idea of like between Julia Roberts and Pam Greer working at a community college like no one's gonna go have you seen the faculty here there's these two like (laughs) women over here like well we we know dean holmes osborne is a bit of a perv anyway so i think there's some kind of uh yeah something going on yeah uh so yeah but you know this is where we're starting to hit a few montages as all the stories get paid off and i say paid off by i mean kind of i mean i guess (laughs) Uh, Larry decides that his house is not worth the burden and so he goes to the bank and he decides to voluntarily give it up this is the advice that he's learned from an econ one class it's yeah. like just declare yourself bankrupt and give up your house uh, and Rita Wilson is obviously like this will affect your credit rating and he's like yeah I don't care so, <laughs> like have the house I'll be out in 30 days uh, he's given up the keys uh, it's a bad debt uh, you know the final topics are given out to everybody um, and we find out that Talia is dropping Pam Greer's class and that happens to happen just as Julia Roberts walks past and Julia Roberts, uh, she mentions some kind of, uh, you know, uh, pillow talk between her and, and Larry and she's like, pillow talk? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, the guy's old enough to be my grandfather I'm really not interested like, I was born in the 80s like, you know, he, he's approaching his 80s there's no pillow talk going on here, sorry um, of course at that point Judah Roberts is like, oh, well, you know, I almost boned the guy, and now yeah. he's not coming out with this young yeah. girl. So. Also, Talia, I saw this montage of clips from the movie that showed you acting very flirty and strangely with, uh, with Larry. <laughs> Can, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you can act any way you Basically, want, I guess, and 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 they do. At least they do very. They do a very straightforward. He enjoys the attention and likes her company, but that's about it. So I guess that's as straightforward as I can get. But 
she clearly makes some very odd choices in the way she communicates with with Larry over the over the entire time of the movie. Yeah, I mean, for a start, it, she it never calls like... him Larry, so yeah. that's that's the one weird thing that she, <laughs> she immediately gave him a nickname. Um, but as 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 weird and like one dimensional as the relationship is between Larry and um, and Talia, at least it feels like there's a relationship, there's a genuine friendship there. But what's going on between Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks? Like that relationship yeah. just goes from... nothing to everything. I know. It's like they, they get they get together because they're they're the movie it, stars, it so entirely yes. depends on you knowing that they're Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts because otherwise it could, That's it. Yeah. There's, there's not really much build up. Like and that bit that he does with the GPS, that is not enough to be charmed by. It's just straight up not enough to be charmed by. No. no. He, no. He's doing the happy dance after um yeah. like she kisses him, but it's just like, well, you know, you've just made out with your drunk teacher who's in a very bad emotional place. And, <laughs> Great romance. And, and Larry Crown yeah. doesn't. The character of Larry Crown doesn't take the Hanks, like he doesn't use the Hanks charisma as much. Like he's still charming and fine, but it's not. It's the character itself is not that charming, and he's not that funny, and he's not that particularly clever. Like he's no. bits of all of those, but none of them enough to really think that. That Julia Roberts' character would be particularly attracted to him. It's just very no. naive. He's a very naive character. At this point, he's packed up his house. He's moving out. Uh, he's saying goodbye to the street. Everyone's going to miss him for some There's reason. There's a literal white picket um, fence across the road. They show it like three times. They could <laughs> yeah. not believe that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Rob Riggle gets his upcomings. His comments has upcomed. Up to his come. He's up. <laughs> Uh, as he he the some pizza is delivered and it's delivered by Rob Riggle and he, and we find out obviously the downsizing that was taking place has also included him. Yeah, he he didn't think his uppers yeah. would come and then it did. Fuck you, Rob Riggle. Yeah. <laughs> now, is, is the movie is the movie actually laughing at him or are you meant to feel sorry for him? I think you I think you meant to feel like a bit of satisfaction mm. that the that like he was so happy to see Larry go and then he gets the same fate. But then he's he's ended up delivering pizza, but Larry's like a line cook in a diner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't like, really feel sorry for him. But I mean, he's I, such a dick in the beginning. It's not like, oh, uh, he yeah. had his come up. He, he, yeah, it's a. I think you're supposed to feel. I think it's weird because like it could have been redeemed a little bit if like Larry's there, you know, and he's like, oh, I'm going to need a couple of dollars back, and you know, he realizes that Rob Riggle's in like a bad position. Yeah. If I, you know, if you wanted to make Larry like seem like the bigger guy, instead of just going, oh, keep the two dollars, you would have, you would, he would have given him like another like ten dollars or something as like a tip, just to kind of like help him out and feel sorry for him, and that might have like redeemed Rob Riggle's character a little bit, like seeing. But that Rob Riggle, Larry... he seems very happy with that two dollars. So he yeah. does, but I mean, I would have, I would have, if Larry was really the good guy, even though he's obviously struggling for money and he's just sold his house and whatever, but he's got like quarter of a million in records clearly so like he's probably got a lot of money coming to him he pro- he probably could have just like give him a, like a bit a bit of a bigger tip just to be like look i'm the bigger man i'm you know i'm the one who could. Yeah. But instead it's just like keep the two dollars and i'm like okay like i guess rob riggle's fallen on hard times um but yeah and then we see sorry just to go back this is annoying because the reason yes, go for tom hanks got sacked was because of that weird i don't have a college education and degree and rob riggle does yeah and yeah he was a dick but there was no there was no this company is failing so 
the fact that he fell on hard times afterwards has no particular explanation. It's got nothing to do with the movie at all. It's just that Rob Riggle got fired or off his job somehow for another reason. Like, there's no... Do you know what I mean? There's no through line. There's nothing that would say, oh, unless we're supposed to infer it because it's 2011 and three years ago there was a crash. Like, it's just a weird through line. I, I think it's meant to be that, like, they were getting rid of Larry Crown the way they could that was like the first wave of like oh who can we get rid of and what excuse can we use and then after that it was like well anybody who's not you know at the top is basically their jobs are gonna they're gonna everyone's gonna end up being downsized at some point you know as you know but yeah there's no real explanation given um but then pam Greer decides it's time to clean up julia roberts she's been a mopey drunk for a lot of the film she i mean you know which is true and so for some reason pam gray is like hey you know let's tidy things up and so they do and then all of a sudden she's on like an exercise bike julia roberts and i'm like okay what well, like, why are we getting another montage of somebody tidying stuff up we already did that earlier with larry i don't feel like we need to do it a second time um but you know she ends up wearing like a nice dress um and then a pizza gets dropped off by everyone's favorite hanks chester as chet hayes appears at the door to be a pizza delivery guy and basically comes on to julia roberts and she's like you know she gives and she and she gives him a 12 dollar tip this is what i'm saying she's yeah. like she's very generous with the tip and she's like you know stay in school and as as the door is closing he's like you're hot and I, i'm like okay like it feels a bit weird but yeah i mean it's not like i, I, I feel that chet's a particularly movie, good actor um, so you know no I feel that this movie actually allocates more screen time to tipping the pizza guys than it does to actually setting up the romance between the little characters. Pizza tipping. Yeah. The the message is always tip your pizza delivery fellow, whoever that is. <laughs> exactly. That's the message of Larry Crown. Uh, but it's finals day, and all of a sudden, Julia Roberts cares about her class. It's been the entire semester, yeah, and she just did. She did not care. She's wearing a nice dress. Tom Hanks picks up some rubbish that he sees in the bushes and puts it in the bin because you know his old instincts from the beginning of the film haven't gone away. Uh, we get a montage of the various talks because, like I said, Tom loves a good montage, and we see each of the different speakers come up again. This class has a maximum of nine people in it at the moment. It doesn't have ten. Holmes Osborne decides to visit, and Julia Roberts is doing warm-up exercises for some reason and he's like what the hell is going on like what happened who is this who is this you know engaged person who's suddenly in this class um and then of course larry he you know the names have been picked at random and some for some reason it matters that he's going last um which he was kind of already aware of um uh, and so in his speech he starts talking about uh, the navy i mean the the subject didn't matter because whatever the subject is as previously larry will just turn it around to whatever he wanted to talk about uh this is a criticism that some people made of robin williams stand-up where like he, like he was known for doing like you know uh, improvisation on certain topics but it would be literally he would say the topic for a couple of seconds and then go to a completely different thing and just improvise on that and that feels like this is what Larry's doing here. He's telling a story about the Navy and he talks about how he's been around the world. He mentions the equator. He talks about Aurora Borealis. He mentions Australia, which I'm sure both of you fellows went crazy for um, hearing, you know, Australia mentioned <laughs> in a film. And he basically well, kind of t- ties it all together. And, you know, uh, at the end, he, 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 he does a quote from George Bernard Shaw because, of course, her handwriting was so terrible that whatever this topic was meant to be, he misread as George Bernard Shaw. And so that's the joke. Um, everyone's happy. They all applaud. 
and then we see the econ one final larry of course is the first to finish and he gets his phone back which i would i would say like the whole thing with george dakai phones is kind of funny because it does pay off the fact that for this final exam everybody's phones are on the table although for a room that looks to have roughly 100 people in there's only about 10 phones on that table but still i like the gag that like eventually people just gave the phones in rather than having to have them took off and by him so i thought that was a nice little payoff and then obviously you know he says to larry you know like you know he's been the best student all year and he understands the material and you know i thought it was a nice moment like of him of george kakai basically being like yeah you know you've been a good student and you know even though he had to keep taking his phone off him he enjoyed having him in his class and you know we'll see that he does econ 2 which is less well attended than econ 1 because i'm guessing econ 1 is not a choice i'm guessing there's like a core of basic subjects you have to take and so econ 1 is probably like a you know it's mandatory for students whereas econ 2 is obviously going to be you know you're going to have a choice and obviously Tom is going to take that class. And I, th- I thought that was a nice touch. Like it, out of everything in this film, like the relationship between him and George Takai, I thought was kind of, you know, it, it, yeah. it kind of was, it was, it was showing like the fact that George Takai is like hamming it up and kind of laughing for no reason and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, I, I kind of liked what he was doing. And then this little moment between the two of them where he's kind of like, yeah, you were a good student. Like you, re- you read everything, you understood it. You know, it's no surprise you're the first to hand in the test because, you know, you're the one who understands the material better than anybody else. And it's, you know, it's been, it's been, nice having you in the class you know so i, I kind of mm. i like that 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 little relationship yeah, was, there um you, you kind of believe that um tom would have learned something in george yeah. ck's class whereas you i don't know what he learned in julie roberts's class at all well he learned i mean you know he learned how to get an a plus because she's sitting there with like an excel spreadsheet open oh, the for various grades yeah. and and she's and she's giving she's giving rami malik a c plus I'm sorry, but he at least seemed engaged in that class. Like, I know he seemed a little bit out of it, but like, you know. I honestly thought at the end of his speech, he was going to say, send Demas High School Football Rules. <laughs> I, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. It did but not come. But he didn't. I think no. that the, Julia uh, Roberts' yeah. class is a literal, the lessons we learned were the friends along the way. <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> You do, you do see, you do see afterwards. You do see the class kind of walking together, oh, yeah, like yeah. four or five of them from that class. Yeah, oh, the yeah. ones, the ones played by their name actors, at least. Um, you know, become mm. friends. It's right um, in the middle of community. Yeah, so, yeah, it's right in the middle stage. of community's run too. In um, on NBC, like that community college as group of friends. Like it's a good place to set a movie. It's a good place to set a TV show. It's lo- lots of plot lines. They don't, yeah. they don't use any of them in this movie, but um, it, it was no. it was having a bit of a moment. <laughs> Yeah, Larry gets an A+. Uh, it was an A, but, you know, she moves it up to a plus. And then uh, Pam Greer and Julia Roberts go to Frank's. They had overheard earlier that he worked there uh, in an earlier scene. Nothing was really drawn to it, but obviously somebody had said, oh, yeah, he works as a cook at this. So they somebody had mentioned it within earshot of Julia Roberts, so she knew. Uh, they go there, and obviously Larry Crown comes out from behind the thing and says, my name's Larry. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but Gugu Mbatha-Raw and Wilma Vilma-Rama are sitting in the next booth to Pam Kramer and Julie Roberts. And uh, Gugu is, like, giving, like, a running commentary on yeah. what's happening. It's really weird. Like, she just keeps... I, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, there was a funny scene earlier where she came into this place and she she broke his glasses in two and gave him new glasses, which I thought was kind of funny because it's like... If anybody did that to my glasses, I would literally punch yeah. them in the face. Don't come in and break my glasses. Yeah. They cost me yeah, money. Yeah. 
I think they're just reading glasses, though. So they're, they're the ones you can get for, like, $5 from, like, any store. They're just, like, you know, you just have to know which plus it is, isn't it? Like, plus six or whatever for his eyesight. So I guess, you know. But, yeah. So she's sitting in this booth. And there's a bit of commentary. She's like, I gave you an A+. plus In front of, the like, this entire diner, who I'm sure probably don't care. Um, and then we see that Larry is going to do Econ 2, which has got, like, maybe four people in it. Um, and then there is a nice moment where she's got like this, you know, Julia Roberts is doing the Shakespeare class. And as before, you know, there's not enough students. And then four of the of the students from the, the you know, the, the speech class come in and they all sit down. And then Rami Malek finds out that they're doing a thing about Shakespeare. And he's like, oh, like he clearly it made a mistake. But, you know, obviously he's going to stay because now the class has got, you know, 12 people. So she has to teach it. We get the where's Larry? Someone says, where's Larry? After they get into that class. Did you know that? Yeah. It made me laugh. I was like, yeah. What do you mean, where's Larry? Like, have you not spoken to him? Like, you were all together five minutes ago. What's happening? <laughs> I think I think what's happened is Larry knew that her class might not get quorum. So what she, what he said is he said to the others, oh, we should sign up for this class. <laughs> and they've said, yeah, let's sign up. And then he's just been like, I've got to go to yeah. Econ 2. <laughs> so he's gone to a different class. And they're waiting for Larry to come. But he's, he didn't sign up to that class. He just did it for her <laughs> so that she could, you know, so the class would reach quorum. Uh, now she's not a raging drunk. Um and yeah, so Julia Roberts she uses the the fixed GPS to find her way to Talia's <laughs> store, which I don't think has got an apostrophe in, which annoyed me. I'm like, are you selling more than one Talia? Is that is that what's in the store? <laughs> Plural Talias? Is that what's going on? You got 19 Talias for sale. <sighs> yeah. So yeah, but her store is handily located right next to. I don't know why Wil- Wilma Valderrama Vildera- like is not concerned about this, but like Larry literally lives like upstairs from this store, so any time he wanted, he could just pop down and see Talia and like strip off in the store yeah. or whatever. I got like, a really loud scoff you know. from my partner. She goes, "He lives there!" Like a real like, "Come on!" <laughs> <laughs> it is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's like literally. But I, I, I think it's it's like it's weird because I'm sure when writing the screenplay, Nina Vardalos was like, "Yeah, I'll pay off everything." With the whole kind of like GPS thing and obviously the store and Larry moving to a smaller apartment. like All of that will tie together as they shoot this scene outside of a location that they clearly have not paid for to go inside of. Because, because they never go inside his new flat. We never see how he managed to squash everything into there. We don't know if he sold all the records or if he kept some records or what the situation with that is. Uh, but we know he's got a small kitchen. Um, but they kiss outside of his, you know apartment um and then he's like do you want to come and see the world's smallest kitchen where he makes his french toast callback to earlier uh, uh he mentioned uh, french toast nice. earlier yeah and all he knows is how to cook his breakfast stuff so you know i guess it's handy uh but i did i did like the little the, the kind of final exchange where like talia you know she's there with uh gordon and and he's like you know has this finally paid off like is you know because somehow she's now turned into a matchmaker yeah. between these two people, um, and all she all she uh, actually like she, did was almost stop it. Like she had nothing to do with them getting together, and all in fact her behavior no. the only thing that was going to keep them apart, according to the movie. In, in fact, like when she when she drops out of the class, like the only reason that there's an interaction between Talia and um, Judy Roberts is because she drops out of Pam Grier's class, and she happens to be in Pam Grier's office, which is directly opposite Judy Roberts, and she happens to mention that you know Larry didn't say anything about what happened between the two of them. So it's like a really weird set of coincidences where at the end it's like, oh yeah, she deliberately made Larry move into an apartment above her shop so that when 
she, <laughs> I don't know, like, so when she puts it into the GPS, she ends up at the shop, and then Talia's like, yeah, he lives upstairs. <laughs> and it's like, what a weird... She does compliment her on her dress, though. Um, you know, so... You know, like... Yeah, there's no, there's yeah, no, like... Dress. Yeah, there's no, there's no, like, kind of animosity between the two of them. Uh, but it's like, yeah, now you're, now you're properly dressed, now you're not a drunk. Um, now you're finally worthy of Larry Crown. <laughs> uh, you can go kiss him. And then after they kiss... Uh, and they walk off screen. They end up, for some reason, in a CGI world uh, on a bike <laughs> on the on the scooter, and they're both laughing and riding along. And neither of them are wearing helmets, and their hair is blowing in the breeze, as depicted on the poster. And I was like, "What on earth is going on <laughs> with these end credits?" I didn't remember them being this wacky, to be honest with you. I was like. I don't understand what's happening. And then not only that, but then on one of the things, there's a whole thing where the kanji characters come up and then the word soy sauce comes up on the side again. So there's like a callback to that. And I'm like, what is happening in these end credits? There's a lot of like time I was switching off by then. Those credits were like, um, like the footage, like when you go to karaoke (laughs) and you see those second rate (laughs) video footage, it was just like, I know that was what sort of like jumped to mind to me, um, but you know, with Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts, like you know, two biggest stars in the world. Um, yeah, I know. There's like of a, a movie that it had a quite a few what the fuck kind of moments. I think the credits were the biggest, the biggest of the lot. They saved I, the best. I, for my last. favorite thing is they didn't have to do that. It serves absolutely zero purpose, which is why I kind of liked it because no. it's afterwards they would have shot it afterwards. It would have been nothing to do with anything, and it's like, yeah, no, let's keep that in. It's awesome. So you walk out of the the um, theater in a yeah. good mood. <laughs> yeah, I should say actually. I mean, I skipped over a thing, but yeah, there was a note left in um, in Mercedes' office, which was from Larry, which had Larry's address, which is why she ends yeah. up there. But again, uh, t- like uh, Talia, kind of like seems to be thinking that she had something to do with all this. When even if she'd never met um, Mercedes in any way, she, Mercedes would have still ended up in Larry Crown's apartment. Yeah. Like it, it just like she had nothing to do with it. Uh, she very much is, um, you know, Leonard Nimoy in the monorail episode of The Simpsons, where it's <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Um, the other thing that happens right before the credits, and it happens at the beginning too, in the beginning beginning credits, is that Larry Crown is in sort of like a little logo sort of thing, the name with the red writing around it that sort of thumps onto the, like it's the Terminator yeah. or something. That, or Aliens, like it was just like, <laughs> this movie does not need a logo with a punch-up <laughs> title sequence. It was so funny. Yeah. Sell that Larry oh, Crown merch. <laughs> I would. I. I mean, what I would love is like there, there was a period in the early two thousands when DVD was huge. I mean, there's still DVD still sells quite well these days, but you know, there's less said about it. Uh, where you had all the like director video sequels to films that were years old, and they basically had nothing to do with the original films. One of which was Bachelor Party Two, where they were going to like remake Bachelor Party, but then they just ended up calling it Bachelor Party Two, even though it wasn't a sequel in any way. So I would love if somebody had just done like a Larry Crown too, like using that same like typeface as though it was like a recognized we trademark. Bring with, with Chet Hanks. Well, with anybody. You could like it literally like those director video sequels had no involvement with the original people. So you could literally recast anybody as Larry Crown and just call it Larry Crown too and just like send it straight to D V D. Um and I'm sure it would do really well. That's well. A, that's, a, um, that's I mean L C that's Larry Cable that's Larry the Cable Guy. Like that that's exactly his sort of sequel. <laughs> Tooth Fairy two Larry Crown two. Yeah. 
Like the who who was in the um, there was like Jingle All the Way two came out a few years ago and it was like literally Larry, nothing yeah. Larry to do. The cable was that Larry the Cable? Oh, well, yeah. There you go. That's why I'm yeah. thinking of it. Yeah, it just came out of nowhere and it's like a sequel to like it doesn't have anything to do with the original in any way. Um, yeah, so you know, I think jo- jo- Jonathan. Uh, linking back to Tom Hanks, Jonathan Sheck, I think has a bit of a career now doing those kind of sequels. He was in the sequel to Roadhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing. I- um, Swayze's kid, I believe. Havana Nights, Dirty Dancing Two. There were a few people who in Dirty oh. Dancing Two who were like also in some films with Tom in the early two thousands. Oh. Um, so he has he has worked with people who've done that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, you we're at the end of the credits. That's it. Um, what was the song that plays over the end? Another ELO thing, wasn't it? Miss um, America. Is it, is it Tom Petty? Or is it? No, okay. it was, and then there was another ELO track at the end. I think it's called. Is it? Yeah, oh, that's Miss right, America or something. Yeah. Calling yeah. America. We finish Calling off with America. an ELO track. So, yep. Yeah, we opened with an ELO track. We finished with an ELO track, mm. um, and we then reached the conclusion of this podcast by saying, you know, what do, what do we think? T Hanks or no T Hanks? And I'm going to go with David first. T Hanks or no T Hanks for Larry oh, Crane? Look, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I kind of feel like this movie. Uh, this movie is kind of like a weird remake of Billy Madison, but I feel like Billy Madison had. The character of Billy Madison had more of an arc than Larry Crown. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, like a Miles Noty Hanks, but like a Miles one, because I feel like there's a place, like there, there is a place for movies that you can just go there and there's no troubles, you're not troubled at all. Um, everything's just handles, like all everything's resolved nicely. It's a bit of romance. It's just there's a place for those kind of movies, but this movie is so lightweight. It's so lightweight. Um, yeah, I know. Like, I, I feel like if um, Tom had brought in, I guess like Nora, but Nora Ephron had passed away by then. But he's more lightweight fare. He needed someone like that to sort of give it a bit more something. Um, whereas Nia Vardalos is not that person. Um, so I would say. Yeah, like a miles no T Hanks on this one. Um, like, there's got to be a journey. There's got to be something um, to carry the film, and this movie lacks it. So, yeah, I think I'll just go. I'll go just on the other side. Just a mile T Hanks. It's eight, it's eighty minutes. It's got Tom Hanks. It's got Julia. Julia, my genuinely this is embarrassing, but it's probably my favorite Julia Roberts performance. I really enjoyed watching her in this movie. Um, uh, having in, in what David said, if Peyton Reed directed this and had script stuff, it'd be pristine because it would iron out any of the ludicrousness, streamline, and just say, "Hey, we've got movie stars here. Let's do it." Uh, but 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 this one, it, I think uh, Hanks as a director just could not get his head around how to um, put the pieces in the right order and and get what he needed. So, yeah, just just a mild T Hanks, but I. Uh, I enjoyed myself. Yeah, I mean, uh, like as we've gone, like I mean, you know, uh, much much as Caesar crossed the Rubicon, so we have crossed um, Da Vinci Code. So, uh, like in terms of like Tom Hanks' career, like yeah, probably before Da Vinci Code, you'd say for this, you know, uh, no T Hanks, because you're comparing it to stuff like Catch Me If You Can, Cast Away, Green Mile, you know, all time classics. Um, you know, like you say, if Nora Ephron had still been around, then yeah, maybe like something uh, like the kind of what she brought to like You've Got Mail or Sleepless in Seattle, like 
it would turn this more into a, a rom-com and it'd be less about an alcoholic lecturer who doesn't care about her job and whose husband spends all day masturbating over ladies with big jugs like it would be less about that and um, like more like like if you if you're going to do the thing where you've got a married woman who who's got like a bad marriage in a romantic comedy you've you've either got to make the guy really really terrible like brian cranston's character isn't good but yeah like he's just a guy you know it seemed that neither one in that relationship seemed particularly good like you know she doesn't seem she doesn't feel particularly wronged it just it's just like, like a it's just a marriage that's dead so you like you know Nora Ephron would never do that kind of thing you know like as as you know like we say it really needs a Greg Kinnear to kind of be a bit more indifferent and you know out of love rather than just kind of like a guy who spends all day on the internet engaging in flame wars <laughs> like you know like you've got to do something to make him feel a little bit less you know like just like a dead end and you know i mean i I, I like I, I you know I gave T Hanks to Charlie Wilson's War, but I said I'd probably never watch that film ever again. Like I saw it at the cinema, I watched it again for this podcast. It's unlikely I'll ever watch that film again. I enjoyed Great Book Howard, but again I said you know I'd recommend it to other people. You know it's an interesting film. John Malkovich is great in it. Colin Hanks is wonderful. There's only two scenes with Tom, but you know like it's it's a, it's a, it's an interesting enough film. But I'm never likely to watch it again. And I would say with Larry Crown. Like, uh, I'm going to rapidly forget what was going on in this film. But, you know, I, I don't know that I can give it a T. Hanks because, you know, the stuff I'm giving T. Hanks to is is like The Green Mile or Forrest Gump or Philadelphia. You know, like films that actually feel like they did something. This film, it, it's a nice diversion, but I would have to... And I'm not saying it's a terrible film, but I, I, I would have to settle on no T. Hanks because I'm never likely to ever watch this again. And if somebody was like... I've got 90 minutes to spare. What film would you recommend with Tom Hanks in from the early 2000s? I would say watch The Great Book Howard because that's an even 80 minutes and you're into the credits. <laughs> so whereas this takes a little bit longer to get there, you know, I, like I don't think I could recommend this, you know. And in particular, when thinking about the next film, the next film's probably worse than this. But also the last film was Toy Story 3. And that got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. There's no way I can give a recommendation to this when it only got 36%. Like, it's, you know, I think 36 is a bit harsh. I think it's a 5 out of 10. Like, if it's a film, you know, if you're giving it a grade, it's a 5 out of 10. But I think there's, would you agree, Darren and uh, and Dan, that there is something to be said that um, Tom in Tom's directorial films, he's uh, he's not trying to make the big important movies. He's not trying to be a Sean Penn. He's not trying to be pretentious like Ryan Gosling. Um, he's just making that light, fluffy kind of escapist film, which I know I, I, I kind of I don't know if I'd say respect him for that, but I'm kind of, I know, like, I mean, I'm glad he's not trying to be something else. I like movies else. like this. I like, I really do like when but they have the thing about something that's air, like that it's air, like sort of you know that airy and nice and light nice as you say it has to be paced like and it has to be clean as like you can't you can't have all the problems this has and be great but yeah like you say i'm glad that he makes those sort of movies because someone has to and i i really like them i mean i'd watch this five times yeah. before i watch the green mile again i know the green mile is great or whatever but i'd 
I, I'm a one and done on Green Mile. Jesus. Oh, yeah. God, wow. So, but that's just taste, right? I'd much rather watch, <laughs> okay. much rather watch this than that. But it's, uh, it's, it's, you're right. It, he tries and he gets much closer in that thing you do. That thing you do is, is much closer to that style. Oh, I, I think that, that thing you do, though, is a fantasy. It's sort of great music. That's what can carry it. Whereas this has none of those things. Yeah, I find it interesting that like Tom Hanks. I mean, I don't think he's directed another film since this. Um, I don't. I, I mean, I know that he he. I can't remember if it's Greyhound or News of the World, but there's one of those films where he also has a writing credit. Um, but he's effectively only directed like a couple of films. Um, and in in the last in the last film that I you know when, uh, I can't. I, well, I think in the next podcast, I, I'm trying to remember because I've recorded things out of order. But I did talk about how um, the final the final film of James L. Brooks and at this point in time, Jack Nicholson is called How Do You Know? Without a question mark at the end. Uh, it's not a good film. It's kind of like a romantic comedy type yeah. film. Um, but what's weird is Jack Nicholson has only ever directed three films. as like, like He's a director, but in a very limited way, in the same way that Tom Hanks is. Um, uh, one of which is called Drive, he said, which I've never... He, like, directed, produced, and wrote that one. It was from, like, 71 or something, or 70, um, I think. It's very early, yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then Going South, and then the last film he directed was The Two yeah. Jakes. And I'm like... I don't... Like, this is this weird? Because, like, you know, I enjoy Jack Nichols in a lot of things, but, like, when you look at the films he's directed, you're like, those are some really weird choices in terms of, like, what you're going to direct. And I think the same is true with Tom Hanks. Like, I understand why he did that thing you do, because he's, like, a huge fan of, like, 60s music and stuff, and, you know, a lot of people from that time, you know. Yeah. But, like, it's weird that, like, this was his choice for, like, his second film to direct. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know what drew him to, like, this... I mean, obviously, I know it's kind of based on a, a friend's story, but the basic premise is just like we said. There is no, there is no circle at the end. Like this is not an a a a, a, a <laughs> This is not a snake eating its tail. You don't get to the end and you're back at Umart with him back in the position with a college degree, newly promoted. It never comes back around. It just goes in a straight line and it kind of meanders off. And you're like, so the object of the film was hit for him to end up boning his teacher like is that is that the end goal of the film was like he needed like it wasn't that he was enjoying this job and he got fired it was he needed to have sex with someone and that person ends up being julia roberts like it didn't feel like that was ever the motive like the start of the film has this one premise of like uh, you know there's been a downturn and people are being made unemployed and then at the end it's oh all larry needed was like a you know a small flat above a shop and a woman to love and it's like I don't know how we got from there to here and we meandered along this course of like a college course that seems to be a woman randomly going here's a topic talk about it for two minutes if there's only 10 students in your class that's only 20 minutes how does that go for 55 minutes she says at the beginning the class is 55 minutes I don't understand that how does it last how does that last an entire semester like how is it speech 217 what the hell is speech 216 or speech 101 like just standing in front of a crowd and talking is not like like this is I, I it's just and then yeah. when he says like he's like he said your course changed his life because you got to see Julia Roberts probably that's what mm. changed your life not the course itself like it's just the, the like the ending of the film is so weird when compared to the very beginning of the film you know? it's a movie it forgets it forgets its own premise it just yeah forgets what it's about um you know, but yeah I, it's I, it's, I, it's 
yeah i, I just say, i just say like that's why I, I couldn't i couldn't recommend it because like it, it might be a fun enough film and obviously tom's kind of pleasant in it again i don't know what's going on with his hair for most of the film uh but at least they seem to kind of partially address that halfway through the film but like I, I, it's I not bad but like no it, ju- it just doesn't feel like a film I'm ever going to watch. And if anyone said, should I watch Larry Crown? I'd be like, no, don't bother watching that film. <laughs> like, unless you're like a huge, like Rob Riggle fan or something. I don't know. Like, if you're, if you're a Tom Hanks completist. I think, um, which unfortunately I, I am now. Like... I am a Tom Hanks completist. <laughs> now. Are, this podcast, yeah. yeah. yeah so <laughs> I, I think, um, though, like maybe it's okay for Tom Hanks just to be a likable presence on screen. It's okay for him to be a really good actor. He doesn't have to be a great director. Um, I was reading, I, I had no idea that he um, he wrote a book. Um, I'm sure, have you brought that up on the podcast before, Darren? Is this one about typewriters? Short... Oh no, yeah, yeah no, he, he did, wrote... yeah, he, he did, yeah, he did, he did, it's a, it's a book of short stories that he wrote on typewriters. But he like yeah, literally yeah. typed them on a typewriter and then that, On old them. typewriters, yeah. yeah so yeah. there's, um, from, there's a Guardian review of that and um, they're basically, um, the, the critic says of the book that um, the book's forgettable, middle of the road, and touched by the special banality of mere competence. And it's like a kind of really hits the nail for Larry Crown. Yeah. Like oh. it's, it really does. And it's like maybe, Tom, you're a great star. We love you, but... The, the one- you know, yeah, the other, you know, the, the one thing that's really missing from this noticeably in his performance more than his directing is even from about Turner and Hooch onwards, even when he was supposed to be charming, he was a prick all the time. So he's kind of a prick in Castaway. He's kind of a prick in You've Got Mail. He's definitely kind of a prick in Turner and Hooch, um, in Captain Phillips, in Sully. All of them have this tension of him being a... It's almost like he's like, hey, I'm superhuman charming. I'm going to be a prick. And in Larry Crown, he's not. So there's nothing to push against. It's just he's pleasant. Whereas in those other movies, he's got these hard edges that make the smooth, like that make the charm help out. And in this one, it's just like, like you say, sometimes he genuinely comes across as naive and simple because there's nothing to push against. So yeah. Anyway, it's fascinating. If it feels like he needed to be closer to Carl Hanratty, where he's like this guy who he's around people and he kind of hates interacting with people and there's a little like there's a tension there where like he's good at his job but then he also gets annoyed when people try to kind of like get too close to him and stuff and you know like there needs to be a bit more of a kind of just a kind of tension in the character but there's literally nothing like larry crown is the nicest person like if he had like if his character had actually had sex with talia and angered you know will will mavada rama to the point where he like punched him or something you would at least think that like oh yeah, th- this is a guy who, you know, you, you, you wouldn't think it's very pleasant that a guy like 30 years older than her or whatever had, had sex with her. And I don't know what age she's meant to be playing this, but it feels like she's meant to be like 19, 20. Like, but at least he would have done something. At least you would have been like, oh, like as part of his journey towards kind of, you know, finding himself, he decided that having sex with a younger woman was probably something he should have done. And, you know, it would have made all the stuff with Wilma Vilroma kind of make a bit more sense because like this, this constant... Like, he seems to be thinking that something's going to happen between Larry and, and Talia, as if something would. But nothing ever is. Like, nothing's ever going to happen because Larry isn't that guy. But just the fact that he keeps, like, Gordo keeps thinking, oh, something's going to happen between these two people. They should have proved him right. He should have caught them in bed. <laughs> like, that that would have at least made the film a little bit more interesting at some point. And then, and then the premise of him moving towards Julia Roberts and getting to walk together with her... 
you know, along the way of making the mistake of like turning this kind of friendship into something sexual, that would have made it a bit more interesting. Um, but you know, there, there was no uh, no payoff for him even passing the course in the end. It's like he passed the course and no, that meant nothing. Like again, at least Billy Madison, he had to get the company. So <laughs> yeah, like that's it. Yeah, he he goes to the trouble of going to this doing this college course at the advice of Holmes Osborne, and then we get to the end and he got an a plus and that's it like he, he never used like he doesn't look like he's going to use it he's still working as a cook at his friend's restaurant which again he could have done that from like the the third minute he could have started working at a restaurant straight away there could have been a conflict between him finding time to work at the restaurant and finding time to go to college but instead he misses one class she gets a bit mad she makes him do some pop topics the next like class and that's it nothing ever is said of oh. the fact that he's working a job and trying to do college it's that's it's, it imagine if the movie had stakes it could have been something yeah um well i i feel we've said about as much as anyone is ever going to say about larry crown um so before we go let's go to plugs is there anything that you wish to plug and i'm going to start with daniel um uh when he hands over his television to swap for the uh moped um it is uh, a late noughties uh samsung television plasma much like my own which is still chugging along over there so there's a plug for uh 2008 level sort of uh samsung <laughs> televisions electronics yeah. yeah but no plugs otherwise me myself i've got a sharp crt from around 1991 that is still going um so very nice uh, and it's gigantic the screen's not that big but the whole body is gigantic uh is there, is there anything that you wish to plug david uh no i've got a uh, 51 inch lg um <laughs> uh, which uh we bought in 2014 and uh yeah as neat as a pin so uh yeah yeah like lg life's good there you go Feel, feels right because obviously we started at a box store where they're selling electronics so it makes sense for us to uh give them a bit of a shout out <laughs> Uh, so thanks to both of you for being my guests here on Larry Crown. Thanks, Darren. Thank you very much. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at t underscore ft memory. I think we can all agree that this film was uh, extremely quiet and incredibly dull. But the next one is going to be extremely loud and incredibly quiet. <laughs>